This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. everyone. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. Thank you for listening. Well, a lot to get to, and uh, we covered a lot of ground yesterday. One of the things that I intended to speak about, but uh, I just, we ran out of time. I mean, it's funny. There are shows that are four hours that feel like they go on and drag on for 12 hours, and there are shows that are four hours that feel like they're 10 minutes. But I didn't get the opportunity to uh, chat about the New York governor's race. And I know that we usually do stories and subjects and topics that are a little bit more national in scope or even worldwide in scope. But in my heart of hearts, I am still a – I don't like the term political junkie, but I am a, a longtime observer of the New York political scene and an occasional participant in the New York political scene. And Letitia J- – excuse me, Letitia James, the New York State Attorney General, was largely considered at one point the favorite in the governor's race. And the fact that she has now dropped out to focus on her reelection has a lot of folks wondering – what that means for the governor's race, what that means for the AG's race, and what that means most important for the state of New York. And it's funny, Dominic Carter and Rudy Giuliani, who I I talked to yesterday as well, they both asked me what my take on this was. I'm not sure why anybody's concerned with my opinion, but uh, I figured if they're both interested in my opinion, maybe you are too. Here's my take as to in terms of why she dropped out. I think there are primarily three reasons. One, I think Letitia James believed that she was going to be getting a lot more establishment uh, support in the race for governor than she ultimately ended up getting. Uh, A lot of that establishment support, including the state chairman, is rallying behind Governor Hochul. And and by the way, people might be saying, why are you talking about this? The governor's race is so far away. We just got through the mayor's race. It's really not. The governor's primary, the primary race for governor is in June. And that means petitioning starts in February. So the governor's race is right around the corner. It will be here. It's here. Essentially, we're here. I think so. I think she thought she was going to be getting a lot more establishment support than she ended up getting. I think she also thought that she was going to be getting a lot more support from the progressive community and the sort of the Black Lives Matter community, the social justice constituency within the Democratic Party. And Jamani Williams has been making significant inroads there. Part of it also has to do with fundraising. And uh, she had apparently set for herself a goal by the end of the year of raising $2 million, and she was at least $400,000 short of that goal. It's a shame that uh, that fundraising is such an important part of running for office today, but the fact of the matter is, it is. So now... You had this wide open field for attorney general because a lot of folks were running for attorney general in anticipation of an open seat. All of those candidates have now dropped out. The last of those candidates that was still in it was Maria Vulo, who I actually liked. She's dropped out and uh, she is not going to be continuing. Another candidate was uh, Assemblyman Clyde Vanell. He's dropped out as well. So it it seems unless Andrew Cuomo jumps into this attorney general's race, which is still very possible with that $18 million that he's got, 
unless Andrew Cuomo jumps into this attorney general's race, at this point, it seems to be sort of a layup for Letitia James. I don't know what it means for any of the Republicans that were thinking of running. But uh, that's the other reason that I think Letitia, Letitia James decided to do what she did. If Cuomo does run, she's in a position to essentially be the Cuomo killer again and – She has all these investigations into Donald Trump. So she's in a position to benefit politically from being both the Trump killer and the Cuomo killer. So uh, we'll see where that leads. I would think at this point it's Kathy Hochul's to lose. I was talking with a lot of uh, statewide Democrats who've been following this, and that's their belief. They think it's Hochul's to lose, but that uh, it's not out of the realm of possibility that Jamani Williams could catch catch some wind here and end up being the nominee. So we'll see. Tom Swazi, I I like Tom Swazi. I like a lot of what he says. I could see myself voting for Tom Swazi. I think it's going to be very difficult for him to end up as the nominee. That being said, Eric Adams ran a very moderate campaign for mayor of New York City and with the occasion with the exception of playing the race card a couple of times, he ran basically as a conservative on on Safety issues, on policing, on uh, education, on opposing AOC and the squad. So I used to say that the Democratic Party, the people voting in the primary, had gone so far to the left that it would be too difficult for a moderate to get nominated. But I guess Adams proves to some extent that that's not true. Now, Eric Adams, unlike Tom Swasey, is black. And that gives him a little bit of street cred uh, that uh, Tom Swazi may not have in certain progressive communities. So we'll see. Uh, At this point, the Democratic primary is a three-way race between Swazi, Kathy Hochul, and Jamani Williams. The Republicans, you have Andrew Giuliani, Rob Astorino, and uh, Lee Zeldin running. We'll see who else jumps in, either as a Democrat or Republican or an independent. But if you have questions about it, if you have uh, your two cents about either the governor's race or the attorney general's race, I'd love to hear from you. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me tell you what's in store for this morning's program. I have to tell you, I was blown away by the reaction to my discussion with Vladimir Posner yesterday on the Russia issue as it relates to Ukraine. If you didn't have an opportunity to listen to that podcast, I do hope you'll listen to it. You can go to fmwabc.com or wabcradio.com or anywhere podcasts are available. Just search Frank Moreno Podcast on Spotify or iTunes or wherever you get your podcast, and you can listen to the whole 23 minutes. Our owner, John Katsimatidis, was kind enough to replay a portion of it on his show last night and then invite me to come on and comment on it as well. But a lot of people were saying, all right, I mean, Vladimir Posner was interesting. He sounded very persuasive. But what does that mean that you're getting the perspective of a Russian journalist? What about an American perspective? So we're actually going to invite on in about 10 minutes uh, Colonel Douglas McGregor, decorated Army veteran uh, and somebody that's been an author. He was a senior advisor to the Pentagon in the Trump administration. And we're going to compare his answers on Russia and Ukraine to where we were with Vladimir Posner. So you talk about two very different perspectives. Vladimir Posner, I don't know how he views himself politically these days, but at least in the 70s and 80s, he was a communist. And 
he's a Russian as well as an American citizen. Colonel Douglas McGregor is a conservative. So there you have it. We'll see where where we end up with uh, Colonel McGregor. And I'm really looking forward to in the three o'clock hour talking with Gary Korb of CigarAdvisor.com. I am a cigar smoker. I uh, uh, I smoke uh, probably more than I should. I don't. I, I'd say these days maybe I do about one a week, maybe less than one a week, maybe two a month. Uh, during the winter, I tend to smoke fewer because it's cold outside. Obviously, I'm not going to smoke indoors. But um, you know, lately I have been smoking more. So, uh, Gary Korb is one of the finest experts on cigars ever. He's going to join us, and maybe if you're thinking about buying some cigars for the cigar lover in your life. He'll tell you what you can do if you don't know anything about cigars, what cigars you should be purchasing. But I'd love to hear from you on any of the subjects that we're talking about today. 800-848-9222. Let me begin with Jerry on Staten Island. Hello, Jerry. Jerry. Good morning. Yeah, good morning, Jerry. What's on your mind? Uh, Tisha James. I mean, you know, she's no dummy. She knows she can't win the governor race, so she dropped out and... uh... She's going to stay with a cushy job, and right away she threw out the Trump card because she wants the everyone's vote. But you know she's no dummy. But I'll be voting against the whatever spot she's in. I was voting again. I'll be voting against the. She's you know got to give her credit for reading. She could. She's smart enough to read the polls. Yeah, I, I really I think that. Um... I don't know. I think she still could have been uh, competitive. And look, I don't put a lot of stock in the polls, but the polls showed her at or near the lead, almost neck and neck with Hochul. And I think, uh, look, I think when there's competitive races, whether it's primaries or general elections, the big winners are the voters. Whenever the media decides, and thanks for the call, Jerry, whenever the media decides that a race is no longer competitive, you see what that does to turnout. You see what the turnout was in the mayor's race? It was even lower than it was four years ago, and it was even lower than it was eight years ago. So because the media said every day, oh, the mayor's race is not competitive, the mayor's race is not competitive, Eric Adams has already won, people basically took the attitude, well, why should we bother voting if we're told every day that the media has already called this race and that it's not competitive? And it turned out no one voted, and it wasn't competitive. By the way, I have an op-ed in today's issue of City and State naming the Republicans that I hope Mayor-elect Eric Adams will include in his administration. There are a number of people that are being talked about as potential picks for the Adams administration that I think he would do well to consider. Number one on that list is the borough president of where I live, Staten Island, James Otto. And uh, he would be a phenomenal deputy mayor. So I'm going to post that on my Facebook page as soon as it's uh, as soon as it's uh, published. Should be in the next couple hours. So if you want to read that and see who else I'm naming as a potential pick for an Adams administration, go to Facebook.com/slash Morano Fan. That's uh, Facebook.com/slash Morano Fan. Meantime, let me say hello to Judith in Deltaville, Virginia. Hello, Judith. Yes. What's on your mind, Judith? What's on my mind is I just wanted to share with you, I finished reading uh, today the eight hours of Governor Cuomo's deposition. My sympathies. And it was shocking that you people had been exposed to a governor who really spent more of his time delving into people's private lives than he did doing work that you folks probably expected he was doing. 
Well, I mean, in fairness, Judith, your governor was running around dressed as a was dressed in blackface, wasn't he? Yes, he was. Yeah, so I mean, it's not as if your governor is the standard by which other states' governors are measured by. But hey, uh, it's a fair point, Judith. Thank you. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. We'll talk with Colonel Douglas McGregor in uh, just a little bit. Uh, get his take on the Ukraine situation and a variety of uh, of other subjects. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. The other interesting race that I'm curious to watch is the race for New York State Controller. I'm a big supporter of Tom DiNapoli, and I do wonder if he's going to face some sort of a, uh, an aggressive opponent from the hard left. There's been talk of somebody like State Senator Alessandra Biaggi, who ironically was our intern here at this radio station about 17 or 18 years ago. Thereabouts, she was a very good intern, and uh, she beat an incumbent. To get elected to the state Senate out there in Westchester, it'll be interesting to see if she tries to do the same thing with the controller's race. I hope not. I think DiNapoli is a model public official, and I wish we had somebody like him running for governor. But I'm happy that he's where he is in the uh, controller's race. Uh, meantime, I do want to talk to you a little bit about something that you can do for your digestive health. That is life change tea. Life Change Tea at GetTheTea.com is a phenomenal product. It is a gentle daily cleanse that tastes great and works to get things moving. It comes in three great flavors. My favorite is the pomegranate, but it comes in mint and just plain old regular tea. It's a cold tea. You brew it hot. You throw it in the refrigerator, mix it with some water. I throw a little lemon juice in there as well and a little stevia. And if you are feeling stopped up and bloated, it is not something that is going to be good for your health. I believe it was uh, the philosopher uh, Boris Rhodes or Phil Ferrugia whose mother told him that the key to good health was to be regular. And that is what Life Change Tea does for you. It helps you be regular. So if stress is wreaking havoc on your digestive system, consider trying this stuff. It's only available at GetTheTea.com. That's GetTheTea.com. You can order it. And if you use the promo code FRANK, you'll get to enjoy free shipping anywhere in these United States. That's GetTheTea.com, promo code FRANK. And they sell a lot of other supplements on there, vitamins, uh, supplements that are good for your immune system, uh, supplements that are good for your uh, energy levels, all sorts of things. And if you use the promo code FRANK when you order any of it, you can enjoy free shipping. So what do you have to lose? Just try it. One package will last you an entire month. It's worth trying. GetTheTea.com, promo code FRANK. We'll talk with Colonel Douglas McGregor about the Ukraine situation. Are you ready to go to war with Russia over Ukraine? I'll tell you, I'm not. Count me out. Count me out. I don't want to go to war with Russia over Ukraine. I don't want to pay for military aid to uh, to the Ukrainians so they can go to war with Ukraine with uh, Russia. Count me out. We'll get into it and find out what Colonel McGregor's opinion is next. This is The Other Side of Midnight. Straight ahead.
This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Morano. For my money, there is not um, a more important issue when it comes to national security and when it comes to the current geopolitical picture than the United States and its future with Russia. And I think that's been true for a number of years. Uh, not putting aside the fact that these are the countries that have the two largest stockpiles of nuclear weapons, and it's a country that the United States probably should be having conversations with with respect to terrorism, with respect to nuclear proliferation, with respect to the ongoing situation in places like Afghanistan and Syria, to say nothing of international issues like COVID, like the energy-related issues that we're seeing all over Europe. What we're seeing now in Ukraine, I fear, has the potential to be a powder keg. And I'm afraid that we don't necessarily have the responsible leadership, not only in the halls of government, but in the media to handle this situation properly. With the notable exception of this program, Tucker Carlson and maybe one or two others, I have seen Vladimir Putin, the Russian president, portrayed almost as a cartoonish villain. And I can't see that being a positive for Americans learning about the situation. So yesterday we did this segment with a Russian journalist. I was deluged with correspondence, people asking all sorts of additional questions, but people also saying, well, okay, that's the Russian perspective, but what about the United States perspective? And you know what? They're absolutely right. So I wanted to reach out to the warrior philosopher who I respect most when it comes to commentary on national security issues, reached out to Colonel Douglas McGregor, a decorated combat veteran, an author, former senior advisor to the Secretary of Defense in the Trump administration, and somebody who's been kind enough to lend us his wisdom from time to time. Colonel, it is great to talk with you again. Well, thanks for having me, Frank. Colonel, um, give folks, before we get into what's happening now and where we go from here as it relates to Ukraine, give folks a little bit of perspective on how our policy has been in Ukraine. How's it worked out so far? I know we've been giving aid to the Ukrainians since 2014 and this uh, Crimea incident. How's that been going? Well, you know, uh, Ukraine uh, has only recently been, strictly speaking, an independent nation. It was dubbed such a thing under the uh, Bolsheviks and subsequently the communists, because they wanted three seats at the United Nations, one for Russia, one for Ukraine, and one for White Russia or Belarus. But Ukraine, prior to this, over the last thousand years, has existed uh, largely under Polish or Lithuanian rule, uh, and was only very briefly independent, per se, in the early Middle Ages. So Ukraine is, in that sense, certainly a new nation, but the Ukrainian people have been with us for hundreds of years. Uh, it's a very distinct language. It's actually a distinct ethnic group. Uh, there is such a thing as Ukrainian DNA. They are not identical to the Russians by any means. Uh, and we have really treated the whole region with almost abject neglect, particularly once the Soviet Union fell apart. We, we kind of walked away and ignored it. And only became interested when it looked as though there was a party in Ukraine that would break away and divest itself entirely of Russian influence. And I think uh, under the first, the Bush administration was sort of uh, a point of interest. 
but under Obama, it became a major issue. Uh, and uh, you had a number of people that we refer to as neocons. Victoria Newland, who's in this administration, is probably the most prominent of the group, who saw this as an opportunity to turn Ukraine into into much something much different from what uh, I think most Ukrainians thought of being, and that is becoming an anti-Russian platform and a, a sort of uh, outpost for NATO in Eastern Europe. And after the uh, wall came down, lots of promises were made to the Russians uh, by uh, George Bush Sr. And, and subsequently Clinton that we would not uh, expand NATO. And of course, that's exactly what we've done. And in the course of time, uh, the Russians have become increasingly uh, uncomfortable with the presence of foreign forces uh, on their borders in Ukraine, particularly British, German, U.S., NATO forces. And I think uh, Putin has finally said, that's it. You know, you've broken all your promises about not expanding NATO. You've gone too far, and we've had it. And uh, seizing Crimea was uh, the first step in that direction. We paid no attention, even though Crimea was historically never part of Ukraine. It was always an important uh, Russian naval base, certainly since 1776, when the armies of Catherine the Great conquered uh, Crimea from the uh, Tartar-Mongol Khanate, which was a tributary state of the Ottoman Empire. So at any rate, uh, now we have a situation where Putin has said, we're not going to tolerate uh, Ukraine being turned into something that's hostile and dangerous to Russia. And that's that's effectively where we are. Uh, talking with Colonel Douglas McGregor, the co-author of a brilliant piece on this stuff called The Ghost of Ukraine's Future with George Beebe, who's an, another regular guest of this show. And uh, you want to talk about some really unique insight that you won't see on a lot of the mainstream news broadcasts. Read this uh, at nationalinterest.org. I've just linked to it on my Facebook page. You can check it out, facebook.com slash Fan. So, Colonel... You seem to think that maybe the Russians have a legitimate gripe with this NATO expansion, uh, especially going right up to its borders, something that the United States under President Bush, 41, indicated that we wouldn't do. I I raise this with uh, General Wesley Clark, former Supreme Allied Commander of NATO, and General Clark essentially scoffed at that being a legitimate criticism. He said, look, NATO doesn't invade countries. Uh, Russia knows they don't have to worry about NATO invading them. And uh, essentially the Russians are just using this as a pretense for exercising aggression over their neighbors. No, it's absolutely not understandable. And I'll tell you why. There's no way in which NATO would ever threaten Russia. NATO cannot attack. NATO has no attack capabilities, never has had. This is maybe Russia trying to make you see their point of view, but their point of view is not defensible. Their point of view is imperialistic, Assertive, aggressive, and offensive. Russia has a three-century, four-century-long record of overrunning other people. Russia wants everything. It wants a buffer zone in Eastern Europe. Oh, but it would like more assurance that Germany and France would be friendly. Russia's insecurities cannot be allowed to create insecurity for the rest of the world. So the fact is, Russia should concentrate on working for the Russian people and not be so concerned about 
<clears throat> repressing the Belarusian people, which they're doing right now, or threatening the Ukrainian people, or challenging the nationhood of the Baltic states, or threatening the United States if we send destroy a couple of destroyers into the Black Sea. Um, that's not the right role for Russia. It's not understandable, and we should not say we understand it. It seems to think that you think there's a little bit more credibility to Putin's position than General Clark does. Uh, yeah, I, <clears throat> I I don't agree with the general. I like him personally, but I don't share his opinions at all. And I don't think it's an honest statement to suggest that NATO doesn't, quote-unquote, invade other countries. I, I think NATO is being used by the United States uh, to essentially extend our influence to subvert governments we don't like. Uh, we did that in Libya. We did it uh, in Kosovo with Yugoslavia. Uh, we did it in Bosnia-Herzegovina once again uh, with Yugoslavia. So I think uh, the Russians have real reason to be concerned about this thing called NATO. It's, it's by no means benign. And then, of course, we put in this uh, anti-missile defense uh, into Romania, which we said was targeting Iran. But frankly, from the Russian standpoint, they look at it and they see the radars and missiles. and It, it doesn't seem to make a lot of sense to them uh, that it has much to do with Iran. They see it as a threat to themselves. So I, I don't think that's a legitimate statement. But there's something else that's important here that, that your listeners need to understand. The Russians view what happens in Ukraine with the same degree of concern that we view what happens in places like Cuba and Mexico. If suddenly there are foreign forces from Russia, China, Iran, uh, or other countries that may be hostile for one reason or another to our interests uh, that show up in Mexico and, and Cuba, then we are alarmed and we make it clear that we won't tolerate it. And we have intervened in the past in Mexico. And we would intervene in the future if we thought for some reason that a major power was trying to turn Mexico into a platform for attack against the United States. So I think Russia has legitimate security concerns in Ukraine, just as we do in, in Mexico, and we should view it that way. So we're talking with Colonel Douglas McGregor. Uh, I hope people do read this, The Ghosts of Ukraine's Future. <clears throat> do you agree with what we heard from Vladimir Posner on this program yesterday that Putin doesn't really want to invade Ukraine? He wants simply to make sure that Ukraine doesn't join NATO. Do you agree with that sort of uh, position by the Russians? Yes, uh... I don't think that uh, Putin is a madman and he is not some sort of a dangerous tyrant. He is concerned about the Russian Russians who live in eastern Ukraine. Uh, Ukraine is uh, almost a schizophrenic country. Uh, the Ukrainians, the true Ukrainians, that uh, in, in terms of ethnicity, culture, language, religion, live largely, not exclusively, but largely west of the Dnieper River. And people in the east tend on the whole to speak Russian, and are for all intents and purposes Russians. Uh, president Zelensky of Ukraine, until he became president of Ukraine, could not even speak Ukrainian. Wow. He spoke Russian as his first language, and he was a product of eastern Ukraine. Uh, he now speaks Ukrainian, and he handles it reasonably well, but he had a lot of trouble in his opening months uh, because he's not really, strictly speaking, Ukrainian. 
Now he's become the poster child for the man who's the, the point man for NATO in Eastern Europe. I think it's it's a mistake. It's the wrong wrong approach. He was elected on a platform, incidentally, of resolving the conflict with Russia. And one of the things that has been discussed over the years is, first of all, uh, do all of the people in eastern Ukraine really want to be part of Ukraine? If they're Russians and they really want to live in Russia, they should have the opportunity to vote themselves into Russia. In other words, hold a plebiscite. And I think that people that are living in the east, particularly in the Donbass right now, would join Russia. Uh, this has been done before in, in European history, and it should be considered now. There's another point here, and this is something that Eisenhower said when he was president of the United States. He said, we don't have the resources, the military resources, to defend everyone in Europe. And so he urged neutrality for many states in Central and Eastern Europe, saying if they're neutral, we don't have to defend them, and they, they are no longer of great interest to the Russians. Well, the best example of that, of course, is Austria. Austria became neutral. And Eisenhower welcomed that because he said, we can't defend the approaches into Germany through the Danube Valley uh, that Austria possesses. So it's better for it to be neutral. It simplifies our our military requirements. I, I think we're, we've got to understand that we simply don't have the resources, the money, the forces to be everywhere. And the idea that even if Ukraine were to become a member of NATO, which I think is a ridiculous idea, <clears throat> that we could help defend it is absurd. It's thousands of miles away from us. It's far to the east. We'd be overextended, and we'd be operating on Russia's doorstep. Oh, it, I mean, it's it, the worst place to operate. It, to me, the thing that's so frustrating about this is that the the consensus about saber rattling towards Russia over Ukraine seems to be bipartisan. You have Democrats and uh, people in the Biden administration, like Victoria Newland, all saying <laughs> we're going to be tough, we're going to be tough, and then you have congressional Republicans essentially taking the action. Oh, you need to, you need to be even tougher. You need to be even tougher. It's just it's this game of geopolitical chicken, which uh, seems to ha- not really be in the interest of protecting any American. I don't understand it. Well, one of the things that we overlook is the simple truth that if you go across the United States, whether you're in Seattle, Washington, St. Louis, Missouri, it doesn't make any difference. And you ask someone, what do you think about the situation in eastern Ukraine? you have better than a 70 to 80% probability of hearing, I, I don't know anything about it, where is it? Uh, if if you're dealing with an area of the world about which Americans know very little and have no experience, it is extremely ill-advised to embark on a military operation in that place. We've been down this road before. Mm. Uh, and it doesn't work. Well, th- that's one of the reasons I'm so eager to do this segment so that we can hopefully try and educate some people that may not understand what's going on there through through no fault of their own. And all they're seeing is the, through sort of a biased media prism, this sort of cartoonish exploration of what's going on there. Now, the response from the Biden administration, according to the National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, the Secretary of State Tony Blinken, and others that are familiar with the call that President Biden had with President Putin, is the threat of, quote, sanctions from hell. Do you think that that threat of economic sanctions for Russia will be a significant factor in dissuading Putin from invading Ukraine? No. Uh, I don't think it means anything at all. 
first of all, we, we unfortunately have applied sanctions so widely against just about any country or any group of people in the world that disagrees with us. I think they've largely lost their sting. And the Russians in particular, who already are dealing with sanctions, have found ways around them, as uh, just about everyone else has. So I no, I don't think so. And the, the threat to uh, throwing us out of the SWIFT or throwing them out of the SWIFT system isn't having any impact. They've reduced their foreign currency holdings. They're not overly leveraged. Their national sovereign debt is minor. I, they can survive and flourish, quite frankly. And they're doing a land office business with China, uh, certainly in the area of liquefied natu- uh, natural gas. Uh, Putin is actually a devout Orthodox Christian. And the idea of killing Orthodox Christians in Ukraine is not popular in Russia. Russians and Ukrainians may have many differences, but they are all Orthodox Christian Slavs, with a few exa- exceptions in Western Ukraine, where you have Roman Catholics and some other uh, Protestant sects. Uh, he's not anxious to do that. In fact, if anything, he'd like to have the Russians who are in Eastern Ukraine as part of Russia, because that would ex- enlarge his population of Russian Slavs which, in his judgment, is too small, and he's not wrong. He's only got about 140 million people in his country, and of that, uh, about 130 million are Slavic Russians. The others are Mongols, Tartars, and Turks, and they're Muslims. Uh, So I think uh, he would like to have another 10 million or 15 million, but I don't think he wants to go to war to achieve that. And I think he really wants peace and security on his border, And, and he's simply saying, look, If you go into this and you build up a a position in Ukraine and you're hostile to me, I'm going to strike back. And and he's not going to wait for that to happen. He will preempt it. But he's not going to march all the way to the Polish border because the majority of the population, as he goes west, is fundamentally non-Russian. He knows that. He's not interested in creating a larger problem. Let's say we're wrong. Uh, Let's say Vladimir Putin does go forward with a Ukrainian invasion. What then, and I'm going to ask you to put on your old hat as a a senior advisor to the Pentagon, as you wore during the end of the Trump administration, what should the response from the United States be at that point? Should it be to exercise some sort of Reagan-esque display of, of strength, or should it be to completely stay out of it, or is there a middle ground there? Well, I think there are a couple of things that we have to realize. First of all, the United States Army is in ruins. It is a shadow of the Army that existed 30 years ago. Uh, The Marine Corps is not much better off. So your ground force lacks the organization, uh, the readiness, and the capability to rapidly deploy and fight uh, anywhere in Eastern Europe. And I think that's something Americans don't understand right now. And I understand why they don't. We've spent trillions of dollars and they expect that they've got something back for it. Well, they haven't. So this, the army is absolutely not ready to fight there. And if it did, it would be defeated. Uh, the air force is in moderately better condition, but the air force has not had to contend with a, an effective opposing air defense for at least two decades. I think they would be surprised by the losses that they would take. I think they privately know that. Uh, so you have to think carefully about the wisdom of using air power and facing losses and the capture of numerous pilots who would end up in Russian hands. As for the Navy, the Navy can sit back and hurl cruise missiles, 
but it has to expect that uh, the Russians will hurl precision-guided missiles at them. You can't move into the Black Sea without losing everything. You can't even move into the eastern Mediterranean or the Baltic without risking the loss of ships. So the bottom line is that militarily, right now, we are in no position to do anything about the Russians if they move into eastern Ukraine. However, go ahead, please. However, I would tell you that if I were sitting in the White House with the president, I would say we need to draw a line across Ukraine uh, somewhere just uh, a little east of Lvov, maybe a little further uh, down south towards Odessa and make it clear that the movement of any Russian forces beyond this line would precipitate the mass mobilization of U.S. and allied forces and their commitment to the border, uh, Poland's eastern border, Slovakia's eastern border, Romania's eastern border, and so forth. Uh, We have to have a line uh, beyond which we will not tolerate Russian military power. That has to be established. But we can't do that in eastern Ukraine. That's three, four hundred miles beyond our ability to influence. So Vladimir Putin has given us his red line. If the Biden administration were to listen to you and give the Russians our own red line and say, "Okay, eastern Ukraine is one thing. Western Ukraine is another. What then should the response be if sanctions are ineffective? Is it direct military aid? Is it direct military conflict? Is it something else? Well, I think, as I said before, you, you're not going to really be able to, to to influence operations militarily in the in the East. And if you try to, you're going to be defeated. There's something that we need to really, really understand, and uh, we haven't understood this for a long time. But George Bundy and McNamara, who were committed leftists, uh, said in 1965, well, you know, we probably won't win in Vietnam, but it's still the morally right thing to do. Well, that's utter and complete nonsense. If you can't win, don't fight. Uh, Only fight if you're compelled to fight, and then fight on terms that favor you. We're not compelled to fight in Eastern Europe, so we don't want to. But if we see that the Russians are going to press further west than what I have described, in other words, move beyond those areas in the eastern part of Ukraine, which are dominated by Russian speakers, uh, Russians, ethnic Russians, then we've got to be prepared to respond. And and we've got to have a line. That's why I said, decide where that is. Mm. You move towards this line, you're going to precipitate exactly what I just described. Mm. We will all mobilize, we will commit forces, and we will use everything within our means to halt your advance beyond that line. I think the the Russians would understand that. And frankly, I don't think they want to confront that. Yeah. No. Uh, So I think that would work. But we can't confront them on their doorstep. That's a losing proposition. And that's, you know, there's an expression that I remember years ago, somebody somebody said, don't uh, write checks with your mouth that your body can't ca- can't cash or something. Mm-hmm. Well, we've, we've written a lot of checks with our big mouth uh, on military matters with the Russians that we cannot possibly uh, cash under any circumstances. You, you're being far far too logical, Colonel. It's a good thing you're no longer in Washington or making policy. 
let me end with this. Uh, years ago, the Ukrainians had nuclear weapons. Uh, they were told, don't worry, give up your nuclear weapons. The West will make sure you don't have anything to worry about. And we saw what happened. Is this yet another example to countries that they should not give up voluntarily weapons of mass destruction? We saw what happened to Gaddafi in Libya. We saw what happened with Saddam Hussein in Iraq. I mean, it looks to me, if you're a country, the best thing you can do to ensure that uh, the East and the West don't mess with you is to have robust offensive weapons, be they nuclear or other weapons of mass destruction. Well, of course, I think uh, what you've just described is uh, is the discussion that one has on a fairly frequent basis in Tehran. The Iranians, uh, frankly, I don't think they want nuclear weapons in their country. But I think they believe that if they don't have them, they risk being attacked one way or the other by us and the Israelis. It's uh, it's unfortunate. But in our case, and in, in dealing with Ukraine, I think the Ukrainians were wise to divest themselves of those weapons. Uh, you're not going to use weapons against an enemy that sits on your border. There's no such thing as a safe nuclear detonation. And this is one of the issues that confronts the Israelis. You know, if you're going to be attacked on your borders by a, a, an enemy force, how long do you wait before you use a nuclear weapon? And well, if the enemy's already on your border, it's too late. He's mm. going, you know, you're going to kill some of your own people. So I think the Ukrainians knew that if there were a requirement, you know, unlikely, but if there were one to use a nuclear weapon against a Russian neighbor, it would be self-defeating because they'd kill large numbers of their own people as well. So I think these are things that are in the minds, though, as you point out, of others around the world, and I think your point is valid. Colonel, we're going to have to end it there. I appreciate you being willing to stay up late with us. It's always a real pleasure to talk with you. I always learn so much. Hey, thanks, Frank. I appreciate it. If you want to comment on any portion of our discussion, you're welcome to give me a call. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. Straight ahead. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Moreno. It's Christmas. Give it meaning or not. It's still Christmas, and it still means a lot. It's still Christmas. Why are we torn? It is the day when Jesus was born. It is snowmen and Santas and folks of good cheer. It's gingerbread men and flying reindeer. It's wreaths with red bows and colorful lights. It's that tree at Rockefeller lit up in the night. That is the voice of the great John Gambling, the the Christmas song that he did with J.J. Kennedy a few years ago. It's Christmas, and uh, it is, John likes to remind me that it is available for sale on iTunes. So uh, for those of you that are concerned about how John Gambling is making a living these days, uh, you can go on iTunes and buy that song. It's Christmas. Uh, John and J.J. Kennedy, they get like a dollar for every download or something like that. Uh, I am going to invite John on for our Christmas Eve show. We are going to be here on Christmas Eve. And uh, what I, I think I did this last year. What I've been doing every year since John retired about seven or eight years ago is I have maintained John Gambling's tradition of his reading of The Night Before Christmas, something that he and his father, it's a tradition that may 
go all the way back to his grandfather's. I'm going to invite John on on Christmas Eve to talk a little bit about that tradition, and then uh, we'll play the recording of him reading The Night Before Christmas, which is just wonderful. And uh, another Christmas tradition, I can't remember for the life of me if I did this last year. I don't know that I was on Christmas Eve last year. But another tradition that uh, I began a few years ago was playing Bob Grant as Ebenezer Scrooge in a WMCA Christmas Carol from 1981. So that's all going to be on Friday. It's going to be a lot of fun. Got a lot of fun stuff planned for Friday, and I'll share with you some of my favorite Christmas Eve traditions. And then Christmas is on a Saturday this year, so I won't be here on Christmas Day, but then I'll be back on Monday as well. Hey, speaking of the gold that John Gambling is going to earn from your downloading of his song, John Gambling is an investor in gold, from what I understand. And you should be too, and that's where Legacy Precious Metals comes in. Are you seeing what's happening with inflation right now? Now, you'll anywhere you look, if you can add, you see what a problem inflation is. Have you been to the, the grocery store recently, seen what it costs to buy food? That means if your money is sitting in a traditional retirement account, it is getting eaten away by inflation. That's the last thing you need. So if you have your money in a traditional Roth IRA or 401k, you might want to think about rolling it over to a gold or a silver IRA. And if you do that, you want to do it with legacy precious metals. The gold should really be a part of every wise investor's portfolio, but especially in the time of inflation. And Legacy is the company that you can trust because they give you unbiased information based on your individual situation. So contact Legacy Precious Metals today. Write this number down, 866-932-0635. That's 866-932-0635. Or you can visit LegacyPMInvestments.com. That's LegacyPMInvestments.com investments.com. We'll take your calls in just a minute. 800-848-WABC. If you want to comment on the uh, either the governor's race or the situation with Russia and Ukraine, 800-848-9222. You know, one of the things that I don't talk a lot about, but I have mentioned before, is that I am a minister, an ordained minister in the Universal Life Church. And one of the things that I really enjoy doing is when a couple that I know, especially a couple that I'm friends with, gets married, I love to perform wedding ceremonies. Truth be told, the only time I really enjoy going to a wedding is if I'm the officiant at the ceremony. That's true. So a couple of months ago, I officiated the ceremony of my friend Darren's daughter, Stephanie, and her husband, uh, and her husband uh, Sean, who I kept calling Matt. But anyway... I write, when I do these ceremonies, I write out a little script. But the script, it's sort of like when I write out a monologue on the radio here. I don't read from the monologue or I don't read from the script. I use that script as sort of a jumping off point to other things that I want to say. It sparks different thoughts. It, you know, it's basically just to keep a narrative pattern. 
And I thought I did a pretty good job with this ceremony. I got a lot of compliments and a lot of people disagreed. Excuse me. A lot of people agreed. So the the bride in this ceremony asks after their honeymoon, she said, can you please send us a copy of your script? And I said to my wife at the time, I, I don't know about that. I don't want people going by this script and thinking that's what I said because it's not accurate. The script is simply just a – it's like a framework, if that makes sense, for what I actually did at the ceremony. And my wife said, no, no, no. You got to do it. If the bride wants the script, then you have to you have to give it to her. So what do I do? I give it to her. So she emails me yesterday and essentially – she wants to uh, include this as part of her wedding website. This is months after she got married. Uh, part of her wedding website, along with the best man speech and everything else. And I'll be honest, I don't feel great about this because I don't want people, um, one, if they're at other weddings that I perform in the future, I don't want any of my tricks to be revealed because I do have a certain way that I build a narrative structure to one of these weddings. And two, I don't want people thinking this is what was was heard at the wedding because it wasn't. What was at what was in the script is just a template. So she asked me uh, and she sent a nice gift for the baby. She said, hope you, Carmine and Rachel are doing well. I haven't shared this wi- widely. The formatting is still a mess, but I wanted to send it over to you before I post it widely. Let me know what you think and if you're okay with me sharing this. Happy to refer people to your podcast and radio show, of course, Smiley Face. And it's got a link to all the speeches from her wedding. And the truth is, I, I don't really want her sharing this. But how do I tell her that? I mean, uh, you know what it is? I try to be a nice guy. I didn't get paid anything. I, in fact, I gave a gift on top of this, which I was happy to do. But you try to be a nice guy. And then ultimately, this is what happened. So I don't know how to handle this. And you know what else I, I don't understand? I should have took this up with Dominic Carter when he was here. Dominic Dominic is always dressed to the nines, right? So he was wearing his uh, typical three-piece suit and his tie and everything. And he said to me we, – we prep in the same studio while Rita Cosby is on. And he said to me, um, hey, are you cold? I said, no, I'm comfortable. He said, oh, I'm a little cold. I said, OK, then you can raise the heat. I don't care. So yeah, I don't know. Now, I don't understand why he was cold because he's got all these layers on. And I got to tell you, I don't know. Maybe it's this giant light because they have the studio lit for TV in here. It is super warm in the main studio as well. I suspect Dominic Carter went all around raising the thermostat all over the place. So I'm going to get to the bottom of this. I'm I'm asking for a full-scale investigation for who gets to control the temperature in these various studios. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Michael in Virginia Beach. Hello, Michael. Uh, thank you so much, Frank. Uh, you're the uh, you're to uh, talk radio what uh, Frank Sinatra was to big bang uh, big big band singers. I can listen to you all night. Well, right? thank you. But, uh, thank you. I, I, I really have to take you with Colonel Douglas McGregor. Um, I want you to think about this a little bit. You know, I talked to uh, Stephen F. Cohen, the uh, 
Russian expert, the the, the uh, expert. Yes, in I, Russian I knew history. Professor Cohen quite well. He was a regular guest of mine. Okay, great, great. Well, uh, here's the thing: um, plebiscite on the eastern side of Ukraine. Well, you have to go back in history a little bit and ask yourself: Well, how long ago was it that Ukraine was so powerful? It could uh, uh, steal a large portion of Russia and its Russian-speaking people. So a plebiscite, that's like saying, well, you know, why don't we hold a plebiscite in Northern Ireland? Because all of the uh, uh, Catholics from Southern Ireland who went there for better economic opportunity, they speak uh, Catholic. They don't speak Protestant. And what if we said, well, listen, uh, all those military bases in San, San Diego, California, that we've spent so many billions and billions of dollars on, if uh, the Spanish people... Uh, well, your, your point's well taken. Your point's well taken, Michael. Your, your point is if there's ethnic minorities in any country, they may want to be part of whatever other country. You're right. I mean, uh, and I think that's a broader discussion about self-determination that I was not going to get into this morning. But it's right. You're right. Uh, we will bring that up in a future show, whether it's with Colonel McGregor, with Vladimir Posner or or somebody else. But that's a fair point. Uh, that is a, a fair point. You, do you allow everybody to choose whatever country they want to be a part of? Let's say Chinatown wants to go and uh, and join the nation of Singapore. Should they be able to? Of course not. Of course not. But it's a little bit of a different situation with eastern Ukraine. It is. It, it just it, it is. I don't want to get into a whole thing here. Rogers in Massachusetts. Hello, Roger. Yeah, Frank, I was wondering if um, maybe I would imagine if somebody at the wedding – was probably either recording it on a cell phone, and maybe um, this this young lady could to get the exact homily from from uh, you know she ought to try to inquire and see if anybody recorded. It. Roger, that is that a great do. that's a great point, Roger. And you know what? And they sent this uh, gift for the baby, and they said, "Oh, when we get the recording of the wedding, we're going to share that with you as well." First of all, I don't need to see it, but. You're exactly right. If they have a recording of this, why can't they put that on all their social media platforms and everywhere else rather than the text of the speech, which is not really what what I said? That's a great point, Roger. And I think you've actually helped me here. I'm actually going to email her today and suggest that very thing, as a matter of fact. All right. What is something that every guy should know? You're not a guy unless you know blank. What is it? 800-848-9222. Until next hour, help control the pet population. Make sure you get your... This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They run in a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
Tomorrow, everyone, this is The Other Side of Midnight. I'm Frank Moreno. So it is very interesting. I am one of the least auto-literate people on the face of the earth. What I mean by that, I know I know less than nothing, almost, about cars. Almost. The two things, because I have – I've been very lucky since I started – I converted to leased cars. I've had many fewer mechanical problems. But throughout my entire life as a driver, I've been – Dealing with car problems, all sorts of car problems. So when it comes time to dealing with car problems, the two things that I know how to do, aside from fill your gas tank, which everybody knows how to do, is I can almost blindfolded jumpstart a car battery because I've killed so many of them. And two, change a flat tire because I've gotten so many flat tires. I remember one time I was coming here to the radio station to fill in for Bernie and Sid. And I, it was three or four o'clock in the morning. I got a flat tire on the way here on the, uh, on the FDR drive. And what am I supposed to do? Wait for AAA? I pulled over. I changed this flat tire. Made it here in time. It was filthy, but I made it here on time to do the show. So it got me thinking and I, I've, Explored this before, but it got me thinking, what are the skills that every guy really needs to know? I'm the now father of a son, and it's funny. When I grew up, my father, he knew how to do everything. You wanted uh, economic advice, he can break down for you the whole economy. You wanted to know about uh, sports, how to throw the perfect spiral football. He was a quarterback. He could uh, tell you how to do that. You want to know how to pitch from the stretch versus pitch when, you know, not from the stretch. He could tell you about that. Sports, fixing things, cars, all sorts of guy stuff my dad knew how to do. Mixing me knows how to do still. He's still very much with us. You know, I don't mean to make him in the present, in the past tense, but you know, when I was a, a child, you know, you see this guy who knew how to do everything. Everything that a guy should know how to do when it comes to fashion, sports, business, money, cocktails, food, you name it, he knew how to do it. So now that I am a father to a future young man, it got me thinking, well, what am I going to teach this kid? So I know I can teach him how to change a flat tire, and I know I can teach him how to uh, jumpstart a car. But beyond that, I'm wondering, what are the things that every guy needs to know? And that's where I could use your help. I'm going to make a list here. And I've got flat tire, and I've got uh, change a car battery. But... 800-848-9222. You know what's so annoying? These tiny fruit flies that that get in here. I just killed one. I don't know how they get in here, these fruit flies. You know why? It's because Dominic Carter has created this tropical-like environment in here by making it so hot. I just looked at the thermostat during the top of the hour news. You know what it was? 75 degrees. Why is he making it 75 degrees? It's. I mean, it's, I feel like I'm being interrogated in here. 
with the super hot light. And now I'm, I'm sweating because Dominic Carter has it so hot in here. They're going to come in here and ask me all sorts of questions. I don't know what kind of information they're trying to get out of me. But I'll tell you, I'm not happy about it. You know what really grinds my gears? Well, let's have a reasonable temperature, Dominic. You know, or, you know, when I was a kid, this is more a lesson from my grandmother than my dad. You were taught to leave everything the way you found it. So if it's 70 degrees when you walk in here, maybe make it 70 degrees when you when you walk out 75 degrees. That's too much. It's too much. But anyway, I thought to myself, and I'm going to be teaching my son the things that every guy needs to know. Maybe I should actually know them myself. So what are they? And I did a little research online. And I know how to do some of them, like uh, tie and necktie, obviously. But there are some that I am woefully unprepared for. I was reading one list, which uh, calls itself, the article was 100 things that every guy should know. 100 skills every man should know. And one of the ones that it's listed is certainly something that my dad can do well, but it's something I am completely unable to do and would have no idea how to teach my son how to do it. And that is haggle slash negotiate. I am the worst negotiator in the world, the worst haggler in the world. When I go to buy anything, it doesn't matter whether I'm buying a pair of pants or a vehicle. Do you know how I choose what to buy? I go into the store and I say to the person, the first person I see, they say, can I help you? I said, sure, I'm looking to buy a car or a pair of pants or a whatever. Oh, how about this one? And I say, great, that sounds great. No negotiation <laughs> over price. I take the literally the first thing that they that they bring to me. Now, my dad, quite the opposite of this. People actually bring him with them to haggle and negotiate on their behalf. Not me. So that's a skill I'd have to learn or at least outsource maybe to somebody else before I can teach uh, young Carmine about that. But I'm curious what um, what what items are on your agenda. 800-848-9222. I don't know if you watch Curb Your Enthusiasm, but this Sunday's episode was very funny. And they have a premise where – I don't want to spoil it for if you haven't seen it. But they have a premise where you need somebody to negotiate with all the people that are trying to rip you off. They call it a, a house husband. I don't want to give too much away because it's very funny if you haven't seen it. But they deal with some of those aspects. So those are the three things that I have so far. Change a flat tire, charge a battery in a car, um, and uh, and negotiate, which is something that I am woefully unprepared to do. What do you think every guy needs to know. Let me say hello to Mario in Manhattan Island. Hello, Mario. Yes, good uh, morning, sir. Thank you. Uh, as you train your young child as he grows into maturity and start to understand, you will educate him with eight cardinal rules. The first four will be to apply common sense, good judgment, have patience, and courtesy, and he'll become one of the best drivers on the road. He'll become a good human being. As he gets older, educate him to know the rule of threes and shelter, water, fire, food in that order, and he'll well, survive the, what is throughout the rule, his life. What is the rule of threes? The rule of three is 
with shelter, water, fire, food in that order, that you cannot stay in a area, an extreme heat or cold, for more than three hours. You cannot go without substantive food for more than three weeks. You could not survive without hydration yeah, uh, for more than three days. Yeah, thanks, Mario. I, I don't know. I'm thinking something a little bit more concrete. Like, for instance, if you were to say every guy needs to know how to make a campfire or kill a deer and cook the deer meat that uh, you know out of, for survival, I, I get what you're saying, but I'm looking for a little bit more in terms of specifics. You notice how the things that I mentioned were all specific skills. That's kind of what I'm looking for here. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Jim in New Hampshire. Hello, Jim in the Granite State. Frank, every guy should be able to change a uh, windshield wiper blade and a headlight bulb. But the problem is, is that they're making these automobiles so difficult these days that it's damn near impossible. So I had to change a light bulb. It used to be you'd pull out the thing, you'd turn it, and you'd pull out the old light bulb, stick it in, and put it back in. Now you have to disassemble the entire front end. So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm worried about about your son in, in cars. You have to go to the mechanic to, to change the oil. I used to be able to change my oil. I... I when I was a kid, I was 13 years old. I'd get on one of those little wheelie things on my back. Well, so yeah, that's that, that's what I'm saying, Jim. I feel like some of the skills that you're naming here are skills that have become antiquated by technology. Whereas, you know, the the thing that you know, I'm looking for skills that will still be skills that are readily and able to be applied in 10, 15, 20 years. I don't know. All right, okay. You, 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 you got me. All right. Well, thank you, Jim. Very helpful. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Mark in Westchester. Hello, Mark. Uh, yes, sir. Uh, haggling should be taught by a father to his son. You get more for your money with a wink and a nudge and a smile than you do coming in kind of hardcore. Like, hey, I pay your rent, don't mess with me, blah, blah, blah. It's come in, have a sense of humor. I do it right now, I say, hey, I'm a divorced man, I got two girls, give me a break. With a wink and a smile. And you'll be surprised, not at Macy's, but at small stores, you'll get that, you'll get that wink and a smile discount without question. All right. Well, it's a skill, like I said, Mark, that I'm going to have to learn before uh, uh, before teaching it to anybody else. Give me a call. Tell me what is a skill you think every guy needs to know. One, two, three, four open lines. If you want to jump on board, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Chris is in Mount Vernon. Hello, Chris. Hey, Frank. Yeah, a guy has to know how to swing a hammer, how to hammer a nail, or a hammer, whatever. I had a buddy of mine at work that we're, we're, we have like a, you know, we're, we're working with hand trucks and stuff. We're tough, tough guy job, you know? And he was going to do something with a hammer and I'm watching him. 
And I'm like, I, I don't understand. What the heck is this guy doing? And you see a guy that can't swing a hammer properly? He looked like a little girl. I, I, I couldn't even understand what, what he was trying to do. Well, that's a good one. And, so swing a... I, you know, it's funny. You see people hitting nails with hammers. And whenever I've had to hammer something, I just pick up the hammer and hammer it. I don't really usually think of a specific nail hammering method. But you're saying there is a specific technique that's proper and that's something that needs to be taught. If you would have witnessed what I saw that day, that it just stuck in my head. Like how this guy, it looks like he grew up without a father. This kid, this guy. I, I don't know. I can't, I can't explain. You had to see it, I guess. I don't know. Well, no, no, I, I buy it. And uh, I'm just surprised that somebody who is so inept at hitting a nail in it with a hammer would choose a profession like the one that you're describing. Exactly. I, I, it's ridiculous. It's, it, I can't even, and he's good at it too. That's the thing. He's a, he's a big, tough, strong guy, and and he's whole. It's like I don't. Know, you had to be there. I can't. It's, I shouldn't even have brought it up. Cause I can't explain. No, it. no, I I get it. I, I'm putting it on my list here. How to how to properly hammer a nail. That's a good one. Okay, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. That's one eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. Henry is in Manhattan. Henry, what is a skill that every guy needs to know? Well, I think every person needs to know how to use old-fashioned maps to get from place to place and not rely on the navigator. Is that in case there's like an electromagnetic pulse or something that shuts everything down? Well, that would be a, a use, but it's just a traditional uh, knowledge uh, all right, so reading a map, that's a good one. Reading a map, that's certainly an important skill. Map and, and also how to use an atlas and look up with D4 is where such and such a, a city is. In a You know, it's atlas. so funny, Henry, and thanks for the call. It's been so long since I looked at an atlas. I have no idea if I could still read an atlas properly and apply the information in that atlas to exactly what I, uh, you know, uh, where I'm looking to go. 800-848-WABC. Ed the Milkman in New Jersey. Hello, Ed. Hi, Frank. I think you have to know um, basic things like if your hot water heater blows out, where to shut the water off, you know, where the water main is, or if there's a shutoff for that, they don't flood the whole house or anything, you know, dishwasher, washing machine. Um, well, let's, so, let's discuss dishwasher, right? So if your dishwasher starts leaking... Um, I mean, I, I could shut off the water, but I really don't know how to fix a leak in a dishwasher. Do you? Um, it depends what where it's leaking. Yeah, you got to pull it out from under the counter, take a look in there, and see if the pump is leaking or if it's just the uh, the line that disperses the water into your drain. Um, you know, it could be a few different things, but. All right. Well, that, that's a good one, and that's one that I am uh, I'm completely uh, unprepared for. Thank you very much. Let me look at some of the other ones that are on this list. Unclog a toilet. That's a good one. I can do that. Swim the front stroke. Okay. All right. I mean, I think that's – I don't know what the front stroke is. I think it's just a standard swim, right? I don't know if that's a, a special thing. Here's one that I, I don't love that it's included here, and this is a pre-COVID list. Shake hands. I cannot stand, and and I, I felt this way since I was a child, but I continue to feel this way. I can't stand when you go and meet someone for the first time and you go to shake their hand and they think 
that the way to shake hands is to crush the other guy's hands. I hate that. It drives me crazy. First of all, we know what handshaking does in terms of spreading germs, but okay, I can deal with that. Why do these guys who think that this is the right way to shake hands, why do they feel the need to crush the other guy's hands? I don't get it. I have never understood it. 800-848-WABC. That's 1-800-848-9222. Bill is in Oakland, New Jersey. Hello, Bill. Hello. How you doing? I'm great. Uh, nice. A couple of, couple of common sense things. How to handle your money, balance checkbook. I think a lot of kids these days don't even know what a checkbook looks like. I, well, I think you're right. But so I'll ask you the same question as I was asking um, the other callers uh, who were talking about wiper blades or uh, GPS. Given the fact that most young people these days are never exposed to paper checks and don't uh, don't have conventional checkbooks, is that still a skill that's as applicable and as necessary today as it might have been 20 or 30 years ago? Uh, I think so, especially if you're doing anything online as far as banking goes. You know, you got to check out your balance. You got to see where you spent your money and uh, how much money you might have left. I mean, maybe not into the too far distant future. They'll go to all like cryptocurrency and uh, total digital currency. But I think that, uh, yeah, I think it'll still be applicable. Okay. Sure. All right. Did you have any others? Uh, yeah, like I said, uh, cooking. Cooking. I think uh, anything yeah, specific think or just sort of one meal. They need to know how to make uh, a specialty uh, one meal. Well, uh, no, just to uh, be able to learn how to like boil water and make macaroni if they have to, or you know, uh, you know, just uh, something that they don't have to rely on somebody else to do. That's a good one. Uh, can't argue with that one. That's certainly important when cook, uh, including the basic skills of boiling water. That is a good one. 800-848-9222. We'll continue with your calls in just a minute. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. singer and uh, everybody it's called holidays h-o-l-i-d-a-z-e and i think it's an instant classic it's one of those songs people are going to play every every christmas season and uh, i think it's uh, it's terrific and uh, racka flacka co-hosted the the post new year's eve eve brunch one year so hopefully uh, if she does so again this year hopefully she'll 
sing this tune, Holidays. It's available on iTunes if you want to check it out. It's H-O-L-I-D-A-Z-E by Raka Flecka. 800-848-9222. Many years ago, I found a book called The Modern Gentleman. And it was a, a handbook, basically, for how to be a gentleman. And it listed, chapter and verse, everything that you need to do to be a gentleman. Well, now that uh, my I am the father to a son, I'd like to raise, if not a gentleman, at least a functional guy that is a member of society. And I'm trying to make a list of the skills that he is going to need in order to be a functional guy in society. So we have tie and necktie. We have change a flat tire. We have, in general, uh, fix things, like unclog a toilet. We have um, cook, which I thought was a good one. What else does every guy need to know? Negotiate slash haggle. That's a good one. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to um, Mike in Garfield, New Jersey. Hello, Mike. Hey, hello. Hi, Frank. I think that the great language skills are very important for any human being, not just for guys. So without language, which I believe is the best and the most important innovation in world history, nothing would exist. We would not be able to communicate. We would not be able to function. So well, hey, that's a good see, one. That's a good one. Yeah. All right. Uh, I'll put so that on. The more languages you speak, the better, because you are in touch with more people. You learn more about other cultures. You are in better harmony. All of that. All right. That is uh, that is certainly a good one. Thank you, Mike. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Phil is on Long Island. Hello, Phil. Hey, what's going on, you sexy beast? <laughs> you tell me, Phil. You tell me. Listen, my wife looked you up on a computer the other day, and you know what she told me? She wants to take her breast and rub it right over the top of your head. You were wow. so hot. Well, that's very nice of her. Well, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, I don't go that way, but... Yeah, and somehow I think my wife Rachel may take issue with that as well. Phil, what um, what did you have to add to our list here? I think the whole COVID thing is all BS. Uh, the double mask, triple mask. All right, Phil, uh, I think you're getting a little off shots, a, a little off else. topic. I mean, Phil, do me a favor. Phil, do, do me a favor. Um, email me a photo of your wife just so I can see what that would look like. But um, stay on topic, all right? We're making a list here of all the skills that a guy needs to know. Um, and that was not helpful. 800-848-9222. Kevin is in Farmingdale. Hello, Kevin. Hey, Frank. How are you? Welcome back. Great to be back. Thank you. And, uh, you know, it's it's a long way uh, through the night without Frank Morano on the other side of midnight. I can tell you that for the last two and a half weeks. Well, I appreciate that. Thank you, Kevin. And I just have something brief. Uh, essentially, you know, I think a big, big thing, you want to you support your child, encourage them, uh, really so that they develop confidence so that they can kind of deal with 
with life in general, and maybe they don't have all the skill sets for every little minor detail, but hopefully they can, you know, find out who can help them with those things. But I think the most important thing is the the encouragement and the support so that they develop confidence in themselves and that they can basically do whatever they need to do to be great human beings. All right. Okay. Uh, again, I'm looking for a little bit more in the way of specifics, but that's certainly an important kind of overall attitude. Jeannie is in Queens. Hello, Jeannie. Hello. How are you? Great. Okay. So here's my list. It's a little bit long, but it's both practical and very and more emotional. Sure. Let's hear it. First of all, so on, be able to sew on a button. Sew on a button. That's a good one, and it's one that I would not have thought of. <laughs> a tool. There's a, I don't know what it's called. It's like a punch hole thing. If someone is suffocating in a car from the heat, you can punch a hole in the window quickly to crack it so that oxygen can come in, like mm-hmm. an emergency, to save them. CPR. CPR is also a good one. Okay. Um, now, another thing I think is to be able to tell a good story or read a good story to a child or to your partner is very soothing. And to always be kind and communicative and listen actively. And may I dare say on the air to both physically touch as well as communicate gently and kindly to a person that you're with in a family or whoever your partner is. Uh, that will make you much more able to work with human beings throughout your life. And uh, let's see, what else did I say? I think that's my list. Well, that's a good oh, yeah, one. To stand up and defend, if you're a man, this I'm old-fashioned. Yeah. Stand up and defend the person, the woman, if need be. You know? uh, well, and yourself, by the way, especially uh, this day and age that we're in. Uh, there's no no knowing when you're going to have somebody uh, take issue with uh, with you, right? You're minding your own business. Somebody gives you a hard time. It helps to be able to know how to punch them in the nose. Am I right? But... Um, I hope, you know, I, I didn't think of this until Jeannie just called, but I hope that if I have a child that gets in the habit of calling talk radio shows, he will learn to turn his radio off. But uh, that's neither here nor there. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to John in Fort Greene, who's been patiently holding. Hello there, John. Hi. Good morning, Frank. Uh, I actually called, uh, Jed, when you ended the Russian conversation because I had traveled. I wanted to say a comment that I had traveled to Russia in 97 and 98. However, since you're on this new topic, I think that uh, reading the Bible is very fundamental to uh, all of the uh, uh, good examples people have shown so far on the radio for this uh, this subject. Uh, It teaches you how to uh, uh, have good regard for other cultures, uh, other languages, and so forth. And you see why people had to live the life they lived, given the geography there and and the, the culture they're in. So, you know, I actually agree with you. Aside from aside from the uh, religious uh, value that comes with reading a Bible, there's so much in the way of history. There's so much in the way of literature which uh, is inspired by the Bible, and I think that's important for every person to know. I'm really looking for something that's a little bit more gender specific, uh, as opposed to something that everybody could benefit from. So, if you have something that's a little bit more gender specific. That's sort of what I'm looking for. Meantime, uh, we are in the midst of a big problem here. We are in the midst of... 
America held hostage day two of the cream cheese crisis. If you missed this program yesterday, this is ground zero for helping you negotiate the cream cheese crisis of 2021. We hope, we pray that this does not go into 2022. Yesterday, I called on uh, President Biden to release the strategic cream cheese reserve because this is no longer a laughing matter. Junior's Cheesecake, not able to make cheesecake. You're seeing bagel stores not able to service their bagels. People who traditionally put cream cheese in things like omelets are not able to do it. People that like to snack on uh, those those uh, cream cheese and hot dogs are unable to do it. We have a big problem with cream cheese. Yesterday, we got a lot of great suggestions on how to, one, help people deal with uh, this cream cheese problem. Some thoughts on replacing cream cheese, not only as a bagel ingredient, but as a cream cheese ingredient as well. Excuse me, as a, as a cheesecake ingredient as well. Today, though, I am calling on Governor Hochul and Governor Murphy of New Jersey to implement cream cheese rationing. Because since we did this segment yesterday, America held hostage day two, day one of the cream cheese crisis. We, I have gotten a lot of emails from people with cream cheese sightings, naming stores, and I'm not going to list them, um, naming stores. You could find cream cheese here. You could find cream cheese there. There is cream cheese out there. It's out there. You just have to know where to look. So what I'm suggesting, in order to avoid the lengthy lines of people at the supermarket, the grocery store, the bagel store, lined up around the corner waiting for just an ounce or two of cream cheese. Maybe it's scallion cream cheese. Maybe it's cream cheese with chives. Maybe it's vegetable cream cheese. Maybe it's lox bread. Maybe if you're going to some deluxe bagel stores, they offer a... uh, a sun-dried tomato cream cheese. Maybe it's that um, that uh, there's all sorts of novelty cream cheeses that are out there. They're all very interesting. They're all great. But if you find the place that sells it, you're going to see the lines because of the shortages. So I am calling on the governor of the state of New York and the governor of the state of New Jersey to implement a cream cheese rationing system. If your social security number ends in an even number, you should be able to purchase cream cheese on Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. If your social security number ends in an odd number, you should be able to purchase cream cheese on Tuesday, Thursday, and and uh, Saturday. Sunday's day of rest, just like it says in the Bible and as it says in Paramus, New Jersey. Day of rest, there should be no cream cheese sold on Sundays. Let all the cream cheese suppliers restock their supply and get a little bit of breathing room and get the people, the few people that are out there shopping for something other than cream cheese, get them, give them the opportunity to go to the store and get all their items. And then come Monday, the cream cheese purchasers can come back. So that is what I am calling on uh, the governors of the state of New York and New Jersey to do a cream cheese rationing system. Even number social security, you can buy your cream cheese Monday, Wednesday and Friday. Uh, odd number social security you buy it the other days sunday 
everybody's a day of rest. It's a cream cheese day of rest. That coupled with my call yesterday to have President Biden release the strategic cream cheese reserve, that is going to help us get through this crisis. And I am hopeful that together we can demonstrate the the cream cheese toughness that not only is Philadelphia known for, but New York's been known for as well from time to time. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Al in Manhattan. Hello, Al. Good morning, Mr. Serrano. How are you? I'm great. Thanks. I know Curtis told me not to say that. Anyway, you're holding out for a schmear on Tuesday. I don't know. Might be a while the way it's going. If, if Governor Cuomo was here, he'd be regulating him and Chris. They'd be telling us all about it. Listen, <laughs> as far as the sun, I would say this. Uh, some things. Uh, teaching them how to park properly. Uh, driving Parallel park? Pretty, Parallel park specifically? Yeah. yeah. Okay, that's a good yeah, one. And, and, you know, and, and just to the way of driving. You know, like when I grew up, everybody was driving like a nut. I went out west somewhere. I had an uncle. Took me out of the desert, tried to teach me. And he says, listen, don't, you're not in New York no more. Just relax. And ever since then, I'm like that lady, the guy in the, in the slow lane that uh, people are honking horns on. But that's where I like to go, unless I'm really cruising where I got to do a thousand miles or something, you know. Just nice and easy. Guess what? I get to a red light. The same people that were going around me like a nut, I meet them. Their brakes, they got to do $400 every time. Me, I just got to do the disc. No rotors and all that. Nothing is appreciate travel, uh, tr- appreciate nature and the ocean. You know, take them, because guess what? When they look back, it's like you say, people that have lived, they've lived. People that have traveled, they've lived a little bit more. You know, let them appreciate that. Because if he doesn't, guess what? Then they're all on their phone the whole day long. They don't realize, hey, going upstate, going to the beach, how nice it can really be, you know? It's like a tonic for your soul. Sure, that's a good anyway, one. You're going to be a great one. dad. All right, well, you know? well, we shall see. Thank you very much, Al. 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Leo in Manhattan. Hello, Leo. Hi, Frank. Uh, let me tell you first uh, how glad I am that you're back on air. It Thank was you. real punishment. It was <laughs> real punishment without you listening to Curtis Lima. Thank you. Anyway, I have one general and one specific, since you was asking for a specific, the general one is, by example, teach your son how to treat woman. The way you're treating your wife, he's going to be in uh, entire life treating the women in his life. The specific one is, if you don't have the skills, get somebody who does have them. When it's a snowy, take your son at age 16, 17, whenever he gets driver license on big parking lot and teach him drive in skids. It can save lives in the future. When he gets in a skid and it's unexpected, he's going to have the school how to drive on the snow in a skid. You, you can use it in life, believe me. When you're not expecting it, you're in the skid, you don't know what to do with the steering wheel. If you train on empty big uh, Costco parking lot, you know how to turn the wheel to get out of the skid. All right, so uh, it's another driving-related one. Thank you, uh, Leo. I appreciate your compliments about the show as well. Looking for some different things, things we haven't mentioned here. Otherwise, we'll just move on. Hey, speaking of treating women a certain way, and speaking of parenting, you know, my my wife is uh, she was never raised Catholic. She was raised as an evangelical Christian. And I was raised Catholic, but I've become I've come to identify more as an Episcopalian. But um, I'll tell you, 
doing a lot of so we were having a discussion about whether to baptize our child as Catholic or something else. And we're still having those discussions. But it was interesting. I read an interesting article from the Pope the other day, Pope Francis. And who knows, this may influence my decision in terms of what what religion to bring the child up in. According to the Pope, lust is not the worst of the seven deadly sins. There are worse indiscretions than sex outside of marriage. That's what the leader of the Catholic Church told reporters on the papal plane while en route from Greece to Italy. This is what he said, quote, Sins of the flesh are not the most serious. And then, according to him, top transgressions include pride and hatred. Well, I would agree with with hatred. Um, Hatred is definitely worse than sex outside of marriage. But Pope Francis' ranking of the worst wrongdoings followed the resignation of a Paris archbishop who quit over a relationship with a woman earlier this month. However, the 70-year-old French cleric denied being intimate with this female However, that's behavior that would have broken his promise of celibacy. Quote, this is what the Pope said. It was a failing against the sixth commandment. You shall not commit adultery, but not a total one. One of small caresses, massage given to his secretary. That's what the accusation is. That's the Pope clarifying the bishop's actions. There is a sin there, but not the worst kind. You know, that's what I like about this pope. You get the sense that, you know, if you if you talk to the guy, if you negotiate with the guy, he's willing to give you a lot of leeway in terms of in terms of sins that are regularly committed. You get the sense, and obviously I've never spoken to the pope, but you get the sense with the pope that he's very strict against, you know, war and hatred and killing people and assaulting people. But if it's something like a, a caress of a secretary, you get the sense that the Pope is a little bit more understanding there, right? I mean, I mean, more than the sense, he's saying it, saying that as much. Hey, you know, another guy that's made a lot of news recently is Elon Musk. And did you see this today? Elon Musk is has been named the Time Magazine Person of the Year. Now, all these stories about person of the year they're all sort of stupid i mean when maybe 60 70 years ago when time magazine was a much more significant player in defining what the news was maybe their distinction of who the most important and most newsworthy person is Maybe that mattered more. I don't think it matters much now. Now it's basically something that you can talk about on the radio for 10 minutes. But uh, a lot of critics are unhappy with the fact that Time magazine has named Elon Musk as the person of the year here. They cite that uh, the Tesla's influence for good or ill but uh, they also talk about his um, – the critics are not happy 
with some of the other things Elon Musk has said. And I don't know when that became a thing, right? Because it used to be Hitler and Stalin, they were both Time Magazine's Man of the Year. It used to be that it was the most newsworthy person. Now, Elon Musk, love him or hate him, he's a pretty newsworthy guy. He's going to he's going to space. He's got this big car company. He's hosting Saturday Night Live. It's not supposed to be the best person in the world. It's supposed to be the most newsworthy person in the world. And I think Elon Musk is a strong candidate for most newsworthy person in the world. I'm curious if you disagree, if you were to pick somebody else, because it's the progressives specifically, people like Elizabeth Warren, who are calling this, quote, an absolute disgrace. Elizabeth Warren tweeted, she said, wouldn't it be nice if um, if the Time Magazine Person of the Year was someone who actually paid taxes? Because Elon Musk is one of the many super wealthy people, wealthy people that doesn't pay taxes. So, you know, you be the judge. 800-848-9222. We'll take your calls in just a moment. The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. I don't like this song at all. It's terrible. Uh, so, Matt, you're saying this is an artist called Danny Hathaway? Donny Hathaway? This is the legendary Donny Hathaway. He's a legendary R&B artist. Is he really? Yes. Uh, I, uh, he's not my cup of tea. <laughs> nice voice, but you know what it is? I don't like the song. It's nothing against the voice. Right. It's, it doesn't have the same kind of upbeat feel that like a uh, Bob Dylan... Christmas song or a Shatner Christmas song. Oh, definitely not like a Shatner song. Yeah, although you never know it by the lack of uh, Shatner Christmas songs we've gotten the last couple of days. But uh, hopefully that will change. Hey, um, you know who they do this Time Magazine poll every year for who should be the Time Magazine Person of the Year? You know, I I didn't vote. You you know, I, I forgot this whole thing was a thing. But you know who won the reader poll? Of the 9 million, I'm shocked by this, of the 9 million votes cast by readers for whom they think is the person or group who have the greatest influence on the year, for better or worse, it's the president of Brazil, Bolsonaro, with 24% of the vote. Now, Bolsonaro is a newsworthy guy. Um, He came under fire from the Brazilian Supreme Court. They've ordered, he's under investigation. He got COVID. He's, he said all sorts of wacky things. He's got sort of an authoritarian streak to him. But to say that, um, he's the most newsworthy person in the world, I don't buy that. You know who was second? Donald Trump. You can't always pick Donald Trump, but Trump was second with 9% of the vote. And then frontline healthcare workers, they uh, they were number they were in third place. Fourth place was Russian lawyer and anti-corruption activist Alexei Navalny. Come on, I'm not taking away anything from Alexei Navalny, but the fourth most 
influ- newsworthy person in the world. Come on. I read the news all the time. Alexei Navalny, most days you can read every newspaper cover to cover. You're lucky if you get one mention of Alexei Navalny. You're not going to do that with Donald Trump. He's in the newspaper every single day. And then um, fi- finally, the scientists who developed the life-saving COVID vaccines came in fifth place with 5.3% of the vote. See, I would vote for them because that vaccine is pretty newsworthy. You know who's really newsworthy in 2021 would have been a fine choice. And uh, again, he's not one of my favorite people. Andrew Cuomo. There are few people in the world that are more newsworthy than Andrew Cuomo. I mean, the guy was a hero. He was riding high. He came out with a book. He got his uh, Emmy Award. Was going. To, he was the toast of the town. And then all of a sudden, he falls from grace. He's under investigation. He's got to resign. He's going to be impeached. I mean, the guy dominated the news cycle. Somebody that I, I think is certainly a strong candidate. But I'm glad because that would only feed into his ego e- even more if they were to have selected uh, selected him. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. You know, it's funny. Speaking of child rearing, uh, I'm hoping that my wife is not up for one of her late night feedings right now. But I'll tell you what I have learned to do. See, my wife insisted that when we give our child a bottle, that it's got to be, it can't be cold. It's got to be room temperature. So that means if you're putting, if you're storing baby formula or breast milk in a refrigerator, what does that mean? It means it's going to be cold. And if the kid is screaming, if the kid is screaming and crying and carrying on and clearly he wants to be, he wants to be fed, the kid needs attention immediately. This is actually audio of Carmine crying. This is actually him. Poor kid. Right? Don't you want to? Don't you want to tend to the kid right away? Listen to him. Poor guy. So anyway, he, the kid is screaming. You don't want to spend five minutes heating up a bottle. And the method we have, because. One of the many stores that we've ordered from, they have not brought us our bottle heater. But the method we have is we take this bottle and then we run it under hot water and then submerge it in a bowl that's filled with hot water. And eventually, after four or five minutes, you the, the bottle gets the room temperature, gets warm. But who wants to do that when the kid is crying and clearly upset and just wants to eat? So what I do is I give the kid the bottle right away. I give the kid the bottle right away. Sometimes the milk or the formula is room temperature. Sometimes it's cold. But when my wife is around, I have to make sure that I fake warming the bottle enough so that she at least thinks that I'm warming it and not giving it to him cold. But the bottom line is the kid doesn't care if it's cold. He just wants to eat. In fact, from what I could tell, he finds the cold baby formula quite refreshing. I don't know how that got started. That you're not supposed to give the kid cold baby formula. Because I gotta tell you, this kid loves cold baby formula. 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Coming up next hour. By the way, we'll read your emails. If you want to email me, you can do so. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. And- 
and we will um, talk cigars with Gary Corp. Uh, we'll take your calls though at 800-848-9222. My email, if you want to email me, frank.morano at wabcradio.com. That's frank.morano at wabcradio.com. Joe is in Ron Konkama. Hello, Joe. Hey, how you doing, Frank, tonight? I'm doing well. Thank you. Um, one thing to teach, uh, you know, your son and other children that's not taught today is respect towards others, respect your, your spouse. Um, I don't agree with the Pope um, on that aspect that you could, um, you know, if you want to hug, uh, caress somebody. I think the, the word respect has fallen off most people's mouths, lips today. Uh, you know, hold the door. Hold the door for a woman. You got to see what that does. My father told me that if you hold the door for a woman, their eyes light up. Nobody does stuff like that. Anymore. You're right. Manners, manners is is certainly an important one, Joe. That is good, and that is something that um, that I, I think should go without saying. Uh, let's see. Uh, somebody else, right here. Jeff here sent me a good list, and then I'll I'll end with this because we'll move on to some other things. This skills guys should know. Reset a circuit breaker. Good one. Good one. Change batteries and smoke detectors, also a good one. Set up wiring for TV, DVD, computers, etc. I don't think that's as good of a one because DVD players, no one watches DVDs anymore. I do, but I'm, an, I'm a dinosaur. Put together toys, furniture, etc. That is the worst. I mean, it's the worst in that I hate doing it, but you're right. It's probably skilled people need to know. And how to clear a clogged drain. All good ones. All good ones. All right. Um, we'll get into well your best and worst email coming up. We'll also talk cigars. We've got some other things as well. And uh, we will do some other things as well. we got, we got an action-packed two hours for the next two hours. So stay tuned. Don't go anywhere. This is The Other Side of Midnight on Twitter, at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. Until next hour, keep asking questions. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano. This is The Other Side of Midnight. I am Frank Moreno uh, with you until 5 o'clock this morning when you'll get to hear the uh, WABC early news. Our news team is hard at work at preparing the news and uh, telling you what's in it. Uh, we'll give you a preview, perhaps, of some of the things that are uh, that are going to be in the news. It is, it is Christmas, and uh, this year... I'm playing this baby card to avoid getting as many Christmas gifts as possible because, you know, usually, I, I you know, I'll get a Christmas gift for some close family, maybe even some co-workers. This year, I think I am on pretty firm ground in not getting a Christmas gift for almost anybody. Now, obviously, I have to get my wife something and then I'm in a, at least one Forget what they call it. It's not a secret Santa, but it's a, sometimes they call it a white elephant. Sometimes they call it a, uh, a steel Kris Kringle. I, I'm going to get something for that. 
I did get something for that. I got to get something for my goddaughter. Maybe a couple of other children out there. You know what gangsters used to say? I think John Gotti had the expression, uh, Christmas is for children and cops. Right. But uh, I there maybe Joe Borelli's son I'll get something for. But I'm really trying to limit my Christmas list this year. But there's one thing there's no getting around. And that is the list of people that you're expected to tip for Christmas. And the list only seems to grow. I mean, this is one of the key advantages in moving from a. A building where we were previously, an apartment building, to a house because you used to have to tip the super and the maintenance people and this. So this year, we have to tip our newspaper delivery person. I, If I get another haircut between now and the end of the year, I'm going to have to tip my barber a little something extra because I'm a pretty good tipper with my barber to begin with. You got to tip your sanitation. You got to tip the mailman. You got a tip. Um, I don't know who else. I mean, I think that's it. Sanitation. I know they're not supposed to take it, but you got to do it anyway. Sanitation, mail, and um, your newspaper delivery person. I, 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 we don't have a you know a pet walker. I know that's always a big thing with people, and maybe your barber. I don't know. Is there anybody else that's a must tip? You know who's a heck of a nice guy is the doorman of our building here at work. I feel like maybe I should give him a little something too because he's really he's really super nice. I um other than that I don't know I think I'm kind of off the hook with everybody. I mean that's what $100 worth of tips, $200. Not sure who else. Um but uh we'll see. We'll see who else. 800-848-9222. Well, it is that time of the week again where we see what uh, those of you who prefer the written word to the spoken word have to say it is time for letters oh we get letters we get your letters every day mailman mailman mail today reach right in and pull one out those letters i love those letters convinced that nobody ha- is picking up the mail at the P.O. box that I was giving on the the radio. So I'm not giving the P.O. box anymore because people have been writing to me saying, they've been saying, hey, I, I, we were sending mail to the P.O. box. I sent you a card to the P.O. box. I'm not getting any of that stuff. Yep. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to give that anymore. So if you want the snail mail address, call up Ryan at 800-848-9222. He'll tell you our address to send mail to. Please don't send explosives or anything. So all of the correspondence, with the exception of one thing, although I did get the new Mel Brooks book in the mail today. That was nice. With the exception of one item, uh, all of the correspondence for today is via email. This is from yesterday. (laughs) It was sent at 10.54 p.m., By Maria Gomez, so she claims. I don't think that's her real name, but maybe it is. She writes, I'm a few drinks in and already awaiting your return. Subject, are you back? So I make the mistake of responding. And I say, yes, I'm back. Maria Gomez then says at 12.17 a.m., that's a shame. 
Curtis clearly outdid you. You ran your ass back because Curtis Lewa was winning the slot. Sad. There you go. That's Maria Gomez. Uh, this is an email from Greg to me. All bumpers now until Christmas should be Christmas music like you just let in with. Keep your overnight family in the spirit even when they feel the radio is all they have. You know, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Matt Blaze, I think this is actually a directive from our acting program director, Matt Meany, that we are doing all Christmas music from now till the end of the year. Is that accurate? That is accurate. That is accurate. All right. So, yeah, your wish, Greg, is our acting program director's command. Email here from Katie. Uh, I hope you accept my... And whenever an email begins this way, I'm always, I brace myself because I know I'm in for it. I hope you accept my deepest apology for wanting the other show to continue in your time slot. However, after listening to your show, I've come to truly enjoy it. You have a great variety and I really and truly enjoy it. Best wishes to your son, Carmine, as well as you and your wife, Rachel. Please keep up your great work. Happy holidays. So that's nice. Thank you, Kate. So we won her over. It was one of the people disappointed that we replaced Red Eye. And uh, I guess we she's now a, a fan. By the way, the numbers that we are doing on the radio, Red Eye, th- th- they never dreamed of these numbers. I don't even think they could count that high. To the numbers that we're doing on the radio. And I don't mean to be dismissive or violating one of the Pope's seven deadly sins that he says is worse than lust and showing some pride. But the truth is, I am proud of the audience that we've built. This is uh, an email from a listener. Uh, this is from a listener named Tom. One of your callers this morning referred to your return to the radio as the coming of spring which made me think of spring training and the return of baseball. It's great to have you back. Good luck to you, Rachel and Carmine. Merry Christmas from Tom. That is awfully nice. That's very it's very nice. Now, this was an interesting one, um, and I am going to read it because it gave me a chuckle, and maybe it'll give you a chuckle as well. This is from another listener named Tom, not the same Tom. Hey, howdy, Frank. Hope you, Rachel, the brand new Carmine, and the kitties are well. Cats are the finest creatures on the planet. Well, I beg to disagree. I'm a dog guy. This came into my mind this morning. Silly though it may be, thought you'd get a kick out of some of my lunacy. I was going to phone in last night and sing it to you, but I kept falling asleep at intervals. This getting older thing has its drawbacks. Ha ha. Glad you are well. Back where you belong. Yours, Tom from Westchester. So he sent me song lyrics that are meant to be sung to the tune of Hello, Dolly. So this is what this is what he said. Hello, Frankie. Well, hello, Frankie. It's so nice to have you back where you belong. You're sounding swell, Frankie. We call we all can tell, Frankie, you are glowing. You're still crowing and you're going strong. You had a son, Frankie, for now just one Frankie, but we bet you'll have lots more, if not a ton. So go get the tea, man. Put the baby on Rachel's knee, man. Frankie, don't ever go away. Don't you ever leave WABC. Frankie, don't you ever go away again. That was awfully nice. And uh, if he wants to call and sing, God bless him. Um... Way too many nice emails here. You could tell people were sick of Curtis for two weeks because never have we gotten this many nice emails when we've done this. Usually it's a much broader mixture of criticism and praise. Uh, this is from Mary Ellen. 
So glad you are back, and congratulations on your new little angel. I listened to your podcast, and I just wanted to comment on the care in the hospital. I'm not criticizing the hospital, but whoever came up with the idea of doing away with the nursery and keeping the baby full-time in the room with the mother is ridiculous. What are you paying for? Oh, I can't wait. I'm not looking forward to seeing that bill. Let me tell you, I can't get to Atlantic City quick enough and hopefully make make enough money to uh, to pay off some of this hospital bill. And the mother needs rest after de- after delivering a baby and before she goes home. And what if you had another child at home who takes care of that child while the father expected to be at the hospital to help his wife? I think it's absurd, and I don't really know why no one protests. Maybe I'm missing something. I just have to get had to get this off my chest. Hope all's well. This is from an e- email from Phil. Hey, Frank, so glad you're back. Congratulations to you and Rachel on the birth of your baby boy, Carmine. Frank, what is the name of the man you had an interview with on Ukraine was very interesting. That was Vladimir Posner. And I really did get such great feedback on that uh, Vladimir Posner interview. So my thanks to everybody that wrote in. And I hope you found Colonel Douglas McGregor uh, similarly interesting. Obviously, I realize that Vladimir Posner is in a different position since he's a Russian citizen as well as an American citizen, whereas, uh, you know, Douglas McGregor is solely an American citizen. Let me see if I could find at least some criticism here. Hey, uh, oh, this is from the Facebook group. If you want to join the Facebook group, just search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's Morano Radio Fans and Haters. It's from uh, John Antis, one of my favorite critics. Curtis is done filling in for Frank. He did a great job of kicking ass and taking names with the slow adult Morano moron callers and proved you don't need a revolving door of crackpot guests to engage the listeners. A bold, opinionated, outrageous host who takes lots of calls and isn't afraid to trade barbs and insults is the essence of talk radio. Since it's too much to expect that Frank will even slightly adjust his approach, and it's too much to expect that the mama bears, retired school teachers, parenting experts, and thin-skinned nutjobs among us would accept even a slight course correction to make the show more compelling, I say let the trumpets bear... Uh, and let the trumpets blare and let the butt kissing begin. Let's throw rose petals in the air to herald the return of Frank Morano to the other side of midnight. See, this is kind of an annoying post. You know why? Because, you know, he just it's just a blatant ad hominem attack on everyone that listens to this show. He could have said, hey, I think Curtis did a good job. Or, hey, I think Curtis did a lot better job than Frank because of X, Y, and Z. I don't really see why John felt the need to attack the people that listen to this show. I mean, I I do know why he did it, for attention. And, look, we're giving it to him. There's an email from Joanne. Subject, cream cheese. No problem in New York City at my food emporium. Cream cheese there. Welcome back. Missed you. This is from Christopher. Hi, Frank. This is Chris from Mount Vernon. You added to the problem because I didn't even need any cream cheese. But after listening yesterday, I went and bought some. I sincerely hope that's not the case uh, because I'd hate to think I'm adding to this cream cheese crisis. And that's all the more reason that the president needs to release the strategic cream cheese reserve. Now, this I got this box here waiting for me. It's from Pennsylvania. It's nine dollars and thirty cents worth of postage, and it looks like a Christmas gift. 
But there's a card here that's for Frank and Rachel. And I'm so I'm not sure if I should order open it um or wait for Rachel. So I feel like I should wait for Rachel. But they sent a gift for me and a gift for young Carmine. And what else here? See, the gift for me looks like I'm gonna hold it up to the microphone so everybody can see it. It looks like a VHS tape, but it doesn't sound like a VHS tape. If it is a VHS tape, I'm in trouble because I don't even have a VHS player plugged in yet. So, I don't know. It's, it's wrapped very nicely. I don't know. If, are we live on WABCradio.tv right now or no, as far as you're aware? As far as I'm aware, we are not. We are not. Okay. Uh, so, see, you've got the tally light here. So, I'm always reluctant. The tally light is the red light in the cameras. I'm always reluctant to do things like... Uh, like, you know, pick my nose or stick cocktail straws in my ears to clean the earwax out because I don't know if we're being broadcast. I'm just kidding. I don't really pick my nose. The ear thing, it's another matter. But I am holding it up to the, uh, the where the camera, it's nice. It's wrapped quite nicely. So I'm, I'll tell you what, I'm going to wait until I'm home with Rachel and uh, young Carmine and we'll, we'll open these at home. Although there's no gift for her. There's one for Carmine. There's one for me. There's no no good for her. All right, we'll wait. We'll wait on that. It is nice. Thank you to the person from Pennsylvania that spent nine dollars and thirty cents on postage to uh, to send this gift my way. All right, those are the highlights of this week's letters. Thank you. Hey, speaking of cash, uh, there was one thing that. Uh, I had to I had to mention before we before we left the subject of cash and that is these cashless stores. Now there I've always felt that businesses should be required to to accept cash. Look, if you look at what it says on a dollar bill, it says this should be used for all debts public and private. I get the convenience of credit card only or cryptocurrency only. I primarily am a non-cash guy. I'm primarily a credit card guy because, you know, who's got the time to go to the bank and get cash sometimes. But there is a rule that requires businesses to accept cash. And evidently, the city of New York is enforcing this rule. Um, the upscale ice cream parlor, Van Leeuwen, has been slapped with $12,000, $12,750 in fines across their New York City locations for not accepting legal tender. They are one of the many city er- merchants that have been dinged for violating this year-old ban. So this ban has only been in place for a year. But the city has gone after 23 businesses for violations. The Department of Consumer and Worker Protection received 152 complaints about cashless businesses across the city. So far, 16 businesses have been found guilty. And some people, like Councilman Kalman Yeager of Brooklyn, they say this count, this crackdown is unfair. These agencies weaponize our statutes to torment small businesses in this city. This is about raising money for the city. You know what? 99 times out of 100, I will always side with the small business over the New York City bureaucracy. But here's one um, area where I think I have to side with the city. Now, this ice cream store, it has a sign on it that says – the sign on the door says we're cashless. Credit and debit cards, mobile payments only. 
Now, they know when they put up that sign that that is a blatant violation of the city law. You can like the city law. You can dislike the city law. But the law in the city of New York is if you want to operate a business, you've got to accept cash. So, I I mean, call me naive here. Call me crazy. Call me cold-hearted. These businesses should accept cash. Maybe you give them one warning. But after one warning, the law is the law. You've got to accept cash. What do you think? Should you be allowed to have a non-cashless business? Do you agree with Kalman Yeager that the city is just being oppressive and cracking down on these people? 800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. I, uh, again, I am a little hypocritical on this because a lot of times I don't have cash on me. But I don't – and by the way, keep that in mind, those of you that see me leaving work at odd hours and think about accosting me and robbing me, I don't have a lot of cash on me. But I do think these businesses should require – should be required to accept cash. Cash is used for all debts, public and private. So that's my two cents. 800-848-9222. Norman is in Brooklyn. Hello, Norman. Hey, Mazel Tov's Frank. Mazel Tov for uh, Carmine there. Thank you. Hey, uh, Frank, I-, I was just thinking about things that you could impart to your son. Um, the first thing you want to impart to him is an appreciation for professional wrestling. Well, that is true. I, I kept wrestling on uh, yesterday while I was feeding him. So uh, so Very hopefully good. hopefully he will develop a, a fondness a for wrestling by thing. osmosis. Yeah, you got to teach him how to smoke cigars eventually. Well, what age do you think that's an appropriate thing? Oh, I, I think in the next couple of weeks you should introduce <laughs> at least some sort of a, a placebo cigar. But, you know, you're going to have to teach him how to, how to cut it and the proper cigars and uh, also uh, an appreciation of full-bodied cigars, unlike his father. Very well. Thank you, uh, Norman. Maybe I'll bring that up with Gary Korb uh, when we talk cigars with him in just a few minutes. So, <laughs> I can promise you that won't be the case. In fact, usually around this time of year, I will switch from smoking cigars to smoking a pipe. Uh, to, uh, you know, just a, a pipe because there's something just so Bing Crosby-ish. There's something so festive around the Christmas season about a pipe. And my wife always so loved the smell of a pipe, especially if it's got Cavendish tobacco or cherry tobacco. And it's sort of aromatic that she wouldn't mind me smoking it in the house. Whereas a cigar, I would never smoke in the house because even I, who likes the smell of cigar smoke, it just lingers there and it makes everything smell sort of stale and smoky. So I would never smoke a cigar indoors. And when it gets super cold, December, or January, and you can't go out to the front stoop or the porch to smoke a cigar, I will switch to pipe smoking. But because we have this, this new occupant of our household, I'm certainly not going to smoke a, even a pipe in the house. Because who wants him breathing in all that secondhand smoke? 800-848-9222. Let me say hello to Pete on Staten Island. Hello, Pete. Hi, Frank. Yeah, a good thing that I do, and I do it for a reason. Whenever I go out to dinner and I take some friends, I always carry enough cash on me in case the uh, credit cards are down or, or offline. I've had an experience like that. And uh, I like usually, the you know, when I go out with people, I like to 
ask them what restaurant they like to go so that if it doesn't work out that well and the food ain't that good, they can't blame me, you know. Well, that's a smart philosophy. But what do you think about these businesses that are not accepting cash, even though the law says that they need to? No, I think they should accept cash because a lot of people, old-fashioned people, don't like to work off the credit cards. They're afraid. I, if I go to a place and I don't feel safe or do anything or buy something online, I use like a prepay card with my credit card. I buy up a Visa card. It only costs me $5 more, but I don't have to worry, you know, like uh, that's something, you know, that they could steal the identity. If, you know, I mean... I, I I feel adamant about that to carry enough cash with me. And your last caller, Norman, what a guy! I spent the day with him and had a fun time. It was the first time I ever met him from well, the show. Where did you so Where did you spend the day with him? Well, we had gone over to have some pizza at Grimaldi's, and then we hung out in Manhattan, and it was nice. It was a All good right. time. With good. Him. Yeah. Wonderful. Wonderful. I'm happy to hear. Always like it when our listeners make friends with one another. Hey, I got an email here from Dave who says, tip your mechanic, Dunkin' Donuts cards. You know, I, I the last time I needed any mechanical work, because my car is a lease now, I went to the, the service center that services my car, and uh, I, I don't go often enough. I mean, I, I, I went... And they performed the routine maintenance that was required, and they ripped me off for that. So I don't really feel like my mechanic, at least currently, is somebody that's on my tip list. You know who I neglected to mention? Um, your local radio broadcasters. You really should be tipping your local, your favorite local radio people, because those folks are providing a valuable service to you. And uh, I think it's a, it's a nice thing. It's a nice thing for you to uh, tip your local radio people. Corey is in Brooklyn. Hello, Corey. Hello, Frank. Congratulations. Thank you. Glad to hear everything went well. Thank you. So I'll get right to it. Um, I'm not a person of this uh, Internet and technology generation. I like cash. I like to have the hillbilly, you know, savings account. In my wallet. No, that's not. I, 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 can, I like that. I like that. It's kind of old school. My uncle Steve is like that. There's something that's so cool about pulling out a wad of cash and then peeling off a twenty from it. It, it, it has a. It's a much more. I don't know. It's got. It's such a. It's got so much more bravado and uh, masculinity than than just taking out my dainty little credit card and swiping it. Oh, it's not a swipe. It's, it's a so chip. A lot easier to spend. Yeah. That. Yeah. It's without true. a card. But the reason I believe it's they're looking that maybe they're getting robbed, things like this. And with the crime waves coming, you know, uh, I don't blame some of these companies, you know. Well, that's a fair point. That? Uh, that's a fair point. Um, that's why, uh, you know, you, you've caused me to rethink my position. I still think they should be required to take cash. I mean, there's not a big re- – they don't need to keep – a whole bunch of, um, you know, a whole bunch of cash in the, in the cash register at any given time. Uh, but, uh, they can certainly, they can, you know, I get what you're saying. I still think they should be willing to accept cash and at least not advertise on their front window the fact that they don't accept cash, which they know. I don't like it, but is a violation know, of the if law. If it's in their best interest, you know, 
Because I know friends who own liquor stores, and oftentimes people will come and buy a pack of cigarettes, say, down in Florida. Well, meanwhile, his buddy is stealing $150 worth of booze. So that kind of thing might prevent these kind of, you know, crimes. That's the, that's why I figure they must be doing it, because they have to pay fees to all these credit card companies. But, you know, what, what do you think? Well, look, I, I, I recognize that um, that the the there's some money involved. And thanks for the call, Corey. There's some money involved in accepting credit cards. In fact, uh, my friend Ed recently sent me all the instances where he's being charged more for buying things via credit card than buying them with cash. And I don't blame the business for tacking on a couple of extra bucks for credit card, the convenience of a credit card. I have no problem with a cash discount. I have a problem when a business won't accept cash, and I have a big problem when they won't accept cash in violation of the city law. I'm sorry. 800-848-9222. We'll talk cigars with Gary Korb of CigarAdvisor.com. Straight ahead. It's The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano, 77 WABC. Through the snow, on the one-horse open sleigh, or the fields we go, laughing all the way. Bells on bobtail ring, making spirits bright. What fun it is to laugh and sing the sleighs on tonight! Jingle Bells by William Shatner from his album Shatner Claws, one of the finest Christmas albums of this or any era. And you may know William Shatner as a great actor. You may know him as a great spoken word artist. You may know him as a great singer. You might know him as a great author. You might know him as a great director. You might know him as a great pitch man on television. You might even know him as a horseman. But you may not know that William Shatner has a an affinity and has for a long time for fine cigars. He is a cigar smoker. And uh, that, that character that he played on Denny Crane that would finish every episode with James Spader, who was playing uh, Alan Shore, and they'd finish every episode on their balcony with some scotch and a cigar, I believe that Shatner actually put that in there because of his fondness for cigars. And I think that that, those scenes so perfectly convey the fraternity that comes with sharing a spirit and a cigar with a friend. There's something about 
smoking a cigar and having an, a, a drink with somebody that becomes like a relationship pressure cooker. Maybe it's somebody you've never met. Maybe it's somebody you've known your whole life. But there's just something about that shared experience that is just magical. Someone that knows the cigar experience better than anybody is Gary Korb. He is the executive editor for CigarAdvisor.com. Uh, he's a true expert when it comes to anything cigar-related, and he's kind enough to join us on the radio from time to time. Gary, good morning. Thanks so much for joining me. Good morning, Frank. How are you? I am doing great, and I'm doing even better because last week when my son was born, my yeah. uh, my cousin Anthony and Natalie, they're, they're married, they sent me a box of It's a Boy Cigars, a very nice box of Rocky Patels. I smoked That's one, right. gave a few others away. I enjoyed mm -hmm. it. I'm wondering, Gary... How did that tradition get started of cigars being something that's used to celebrate something? Because when we think of celebratory events, whether it's a wedding or a birth or a retirement or winning an election or winning a sporting event, you see these people lighting up a cigar. You don't see them lighting up a pipe or a cigarette or something else. You have any idea how that got started, Gary? Yeah, uh, a little bit. But before we do that, since we're on the topic of babies, I definitely have to wish you a big mazel tov oh, to you and you. Rachel and Carmine. Thank Carmine. you very much. Thank you. I think it's wonderful. I, I had, I've had two boys, and I'll never forget the day my first son was born, and they put him on the scale. Remember when they put him on the scale? I do. Well, my son, the, not yours, but yes. That's right. And, and three numbers came up, 777. And I said, that's a lucky guy. And that was uh, <laughs> my, my oldest son, who's now 23. Unbelievable. Very nice. Very um, nice. I, I, I think the, um, the, the, the tradition, you have an article about it uh, on CigarAdvisor.com, of course. Uh, but I think it started basically because cigars were sort of celebrated by, or smoked rather, by people who, you know, were well-to-do. You know, they were definitely more expensive than and cigarettes. I'm talking about, you know, in the olden days, you know, before they had machines and stuff, uh, hand-rolled cigars. And I think it was just something that made you, you know, made the person feel rich. You know, they're rich that, you know, that they have a son or a daughter. You know, they've had this baby. And it's just that feeling, that glowing feeling that I'm sure you have right now, Frank, because it's, it's really an amazing feeling, isn't it? Well, it certainly is, uh, Gary. But now when, when Curtis Lewa was filling in for me the first couple of days after my son was born, he was starting the rumor, aside from my son being 13 pounds, he was starting the rumor that I was standing on a corner giving out Denobola cigars. Now, Denobola cigars are considered a little bit more uh, working class, a little bit more old-fashioned. So it's not as if every cigar is a luxury item, right? You can have yeah, cheaply yeah. made cigars, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the Denobili cigars, um, they have a tradition of their own, you know. That the, um, Tell us about that. that Tell came us in about from that. Italy. They're made up in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And that's a whole, we, we actually visited up there some years ago, and it's an amazing operation. They're made by machine, but they're also made by hand. Uh, so it's a combination. And it's a, it's a wonderful tradition that that, uh, that company has. Um, Denobili and Avanti cigars, those kind of things. So, and they started in New York City, I believe, too. Oh, really? So even though they yeah, have such tradition. a rich yeah. Italian tradition, they're they're American oh, yeah. in origin. Mm -hmm. Very much so. 
Um, anyhow, uh, I just want to, can I say something real quick about the cash and the uh, credit card? Sure, go ahead, Gary. Yeah, it's your time. <laughs> you got me going on this real quick because I know we don't have much time. So a few years ago, more than a few years ago, some years ago, I was working with a young fellow who's much younger than me. Um, and he, he and I got into this discussion about that he doesn't carry cash. I think I guess you consider him a millennial, you know. And he, so I said, "What do you mean you don't carry cash?" I said, "Yeah, you always, should always carry at least like somewhere between thirty and fifty bucks cash." And he said, "No, I don't believe in cash. I just I need something. I just use the credit card." So I said, "Why well, are you ridiculous? So you're gonna pay, you're gonna pay, put down a credit card for like a, a coffee at the, you know at the Wawa or something like that?" He goes, "Yeah, I pay with the credit card." So like I said, "That's ridiculous." So anyway, we get into this whole thing. Not not two minutes later, Frank, one of the other fellows we work with walks in. He says to me, "He says, hey, he says." Um, you know, we we picked up that beer. You know, we were in that beer order, and um, I'm going to meet. I'm going to need you to pay me. He goes, well, what do you need? He goes, I'm going to need thirty bucks. He goes, he says, well, you know, I'll get I'll get it to you. He goes, no, I need cash. <laughs> so he goes, you're going to have to. I'm going to have to run to the bank. So I said, you know, I knew it. I knew it. as soon as you know this happened. You know, he would need something. He would have to have cash on him. Yeah. The guy was insisting on it, but anyway. Well, I, I think that uh, it goes to show you that businesses should, you know, should all accept cash so that uh, people feel better about uh, about carrying them. Now, um, in terms of the cigar experience, a friend of mine came to visit me and uh, young Carmine the other day, and I gave her one of these cigars, and she starts she starts smoking one of these cigars, and she says to me. I'm not sure I get what's so great about a cigar. And Dominic Carter Mm. seemed to ask the same question when we were previewing this segment last night. She said, look, if you don't really inhale a cigar, what are you getting out of it? Let me ask you the same question that she asked me. What is so great about a cigar if you don't actually inhale it like you would a, a cigarette or a marijuana joint, for instance? Okay. Well, first of all, there are people that do inhale cigars, and I certainly don't uh, encourage that at all. Um, you're going to get a lot of nicotine, and if you're not experienced, uh, you you're going to get you're probably going to get pretty sick. Uh, what, what you're getting from the cigar, okay? It's it's, a, it's kind of a whole multitude of of sensory experiences. First, there's the there's the uh, you know let's look you know looking at the cigar, the eyes. You know you, you have a nice looking cigar. It's really well rolled. Let's say. It's got a pretty band on it, you know, so you kind of like admire the cigar, you know. And then, you know, there's the whole act of clipping the cigar and draw draw testing it basically, and then well, you light it up. What kind of cut do you and, like, by the way, for the cigar? The do you like the pardon? What kind of cut do you like for a cigar? I I basically, in my old fashioned, I like a double guillotine cut where I just. Cut right. off about an eighth to a quarter of an inch of the of the cap. You know, just cut the cap off just above the shoulders of the cigar, and that's it. I like a lot of surface area exposed. I'm with you on which that. One of the, I'm sorry. I don't know. Go ahead. Oh, which is one of the things that we're we're part of this question that you asked because the more surface area, the more smoke I'm going to get, and the more the more flavor. Now, some people prefer a V cut. Do you like a V cut or a punch cut? I like the double double guillotine, but uh, I I mean yeah, okay. I certainly wouldn't send it back with a V cut or a punch cut either. Yeah, no, and there, and, and each cut kind of has its own little advantages too. We can get into that if you want. But getting back to the experience, the 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 tobaccos have been aged, uh, you know, cured and aged to a point where they have a certain type of flavor that the master blender wants to bring out in 
his or her blend that they're that they're working on. There are a few women who are master blenders and they're pretty good. But um, the um, so you have the smoke, you have the, the flavor of the smoke, you have you know this smoke coming. You know you're 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 smelling the smoke. You don't really have to inhale it to enjoy it. Uh, you really just kind of take those flavors and like like wine. You know how like when you you sample wine, you kind of swoosh it around your mouth. Oh yeah, no. Okay, so you would you kind of do that with the smoke a little bit, and sometimes some of it will come out your nose a little bit. And there's another experience there too. You'll get more flavors or different flavors, uh, or sometimes no flavor uh, if you kind of force the smoke out through your nose, which is called retrohaling. And so it's just kind of this whole. You and you might taste things like nutmeg. You may taste things like cinnamon. Uh, you may taste like an earthiness uh, or you know, damp wood, things like that. And we have a whole flavor wheel that uh, we, we you can download for free at CigarAdvisor.com. And it has like every flavor in the book. You know, So you say, gee, I just kind of tastes something like this, but I don't really have, have put my finger on it. You can look at the flavor wheel and that will help you find flavor that you just can't you know, capture, but you know, you get, I get a lot of spice and sweetness and things and molasses, brown sugar, you know, I, I, what, what have you experienced, Frank? I mean, you know, we've had a, you've had a pretty good run so far with the cigars. Well, you know, I'll be honest. I don't think I could pin down and maybe I need to be a more attentive smoker and not mm-hmm. uh, smoke them as quickly as that, I, as I do. I don't think I could pin down the kind of flavors and scents that you're uh, that you're describing. I have to maybe uh, I'm going to try and maybe smoke one this morning after the show and see if I could do a oh, better great. job, uh, do a better job uh, taking note of some of these. Now, what makes something, Gary? And if people are just tuning in, we're talking with Gary Corb. He's the executive editor over at CigarAdvisor.com. What makes something a good cigar? I was in my local cigar shop last week. And they okay. were selling some cigars for a hundred dollars a stick. Now, not a hundred dollars a box, a hundred dollars for an individual cigar. And I said to the proprietor of this establishment, I said, "What makes this so great?" And he tried to explain it. He said, "They do this and they do that." And needless to say, I was nowhere near convinced to be able to spend a hundred dollars on on a cigar. What could they do to a cigar that makes it worth a hundred dollars? Well, you know, um, I'll tell you the truth. I don't even know too many guys that I smoke with in the, in the business and out, you know, who are, are willing to pay that kind of money for a cigar. Um, but, you know, the, they probably told you, you know, oh, the tobacco's been aged like so many years and there's all this went into it. And it probably did, you know, but uh, I don't I don't know. You know, the. Um, what really makes a cigar good, and it's not the price, it's really how much you personally enjoy it, which is kind of like what we were talking about a second ago with the flavors. Like I look for cigars that I think are going to deliver certain flavors to me that I like. You know, I kind of like cigars that are sweet and a little spicy, you know. Um, but, you know, there's some cigars that have just come out recently that I notice even I, you know, my eyebrows raised a little. You know, so this cigar is $26, this cigar is $21, and, of course, prices are going up. But $100, I don't know. I don't know if I could place that on anything unless it was something very, very, very rare, like a collector's item. And then, you know, like you almost don't want to smoke it because once it's gone, it's gone. Right. <laughs> you know. Right. I'd have to be pretty drunk to spend $100 on a cigar. That's yeah. for sure. Now, yeah, that's, Gary. That's pretty, I didn't. And was that New York? I assume it was New York. Yeah, the prices yeah, were very uh, high. Yeah, no, it was. I, I think it was a uh, – I'll have to look, but I think it was a, 
a Fuente Opus something special. Oh, an Opus X. It could have been a very like a rare Opus X. Yes, I think I think like, that's what it was. I think that's what it was. Yeah, was... yeah, they'll go for that. We we used to have customers when we got the um, when I was working in the cigar store. Uh, you know, cigar smokers would come in and they would pay, overpay for Opus X boxes. It's it's probably you know next to the Cohiba, the Cuban Cohiba, the Opus X is probably the most popular luxury cigar, most coveted. Um, you know, I love Arturo Fuente cigars, but I, I tend to prefer the Don Carlos uh, line of Arturo Fuente than Opus X, or just, just a personal thing. All right, Gary, but, let's yeah. say somebody's listening to us and they know their husband, their brother, their uncle, mm-hmm. their father, their coworker, their boss likes cigars, but they don't, and they want to get them some nice cigars for Christmas, but they don't necessarily know what kind of cigars their friend or their loved one smokes. What advice would you give someone that wants to buy some nice cigars for someone as a holiday gift? Is there is there a basic cigar that every cigar smoker will enjoy, for instance? Yeah, there, there are someone, you know, I would call the you know, middle of the road in, in terms of, you know, strength. Cigars that, you know, a cigar smoker of any experience would enjoy. Uh, something like, um, there's some good Romeo and Juliettas, uh, that are, are, you know, the, but the, the thing is, there's so many different varieties of these cigars today. Romeo and Juliettas, uh, uh, Monte Cristos, Partagas, um, Avo is another good one. It depends on what you want to, uh, spend. And what they like. And I have a friend that I work with, and he says, I usually ask people what they like to eat. I said, really? He goes, yeah, I like to ask them what they like to eat. Because based on the kind of foods they like, mm. that's how I'm able to recommend the type of cigar they would like. You know, So if you like you know, heavy meals, heavy you know, foods, like you know, hearty meals, hearty steaks, things like that, you might want to get them a cigar that's a little bolder. If they like lighter fare, you might want to get them a cigar that's you know, more like, um, you know, Light, uh, I'd say mellow to medium bodied, like, um, you know, a, um, an, an Avo, something like that. Avo number, let's see, what's, what's the one that I like? Uh, Avo XO is a nice cigar, nice, nice medium bodied cigar, or a Fuente. Fuente is, what I like about Fuente is they're universally loved, and the main lines are, are very flavorful, but, and they're not that expensive, and they're very well made. You know, you almost can't beat. Okay, so it sounds like Fuente like is a good choice for someone yeah, that are, wants to buy one for somebody but doesn't know what kind to get. Yeah, that's a pretty safe bet, you know. Uh, no, that's like good. That. And, and no, it's funny. Macanudo, you know. Uh, you know, uh, I was reading this interview with uh, another cigar website that William Shatner did, and he mm-hmm. says that he's into the full-bodied taste. He said, quote, right. I don't know why you would go mild if you're into the taste. Don't you want to taste as much as possible. What would you say the breakdown is, Gary, between people that like a full-bodied, stronger cigar and people that prefer something a little lighter? All right. Well, the hardcore guys, you know, these um, they they tend to like cigars that are bolder because they want that flavor. And Nicaragua seems to be the answer in terms of these cigars that have been coming out out of Nicaragua for a long time now which have very hardy tobaccos, and the tobaccos are broken down by where they're grown, like Esteli tobacco is stronger than, say, uh, tobacco that was grown in Jalapa, Nicaragua, which is closer to, like, uh, 
you know, Cuban tobacco in terms of its region and stuff like that. But I'm, I'm getting off track here. The um, the bold cigars are mainly for the guys who really want a lot of flavor, want to you know, pair it up with a good bourbon or something like that. Then you have your medium body cigars. I'm more in the medium full range. You know, like I like cigars that kind of have a um, – they're not too light because then I really don't get much flavor. But I don't like anything too bold because if it's spicy, especially if it's peppery, I, I'm not really a fan of very peppery cigars. So I like something that's kind of rich in flavor. And, and also you want something that's a little complex. That's another thing that, you know, more experienced cigar smokers look for. So if you're an average cigar smoker, maybe you smoke, you know, once a week or a couple times a week, you're probably going to, they're probably going to want to smoke something that's more in the medium range. Uh, but, you know, they will definitely be open to trying, you know, new things and trying things that are a little stronger because your taste buds, as you adjust, you know, you sort of want to discover more things. And cigars are so complex in terms of the way they're put together and the tobaccos that are used and the aging. There's really so much to it um, that uh, you just it's just one of those those things. And I guess I assume you're getting into this or have done this. You just want to try all these different things. They want to taste that cigar. I want to taste that cigar. But usually they'll tell you. The store will tell you or it'll be uh, in the advertisements or, um, you know, on the website, you know, if the cigar is me- mellow, they used to say mild, they don't say mild anymore. It's mellow, medium, or bold or full-bodied cigar. Let me end with so, this. A listener uh, wrote in with a question for you, and I could talk with you about this stuff all day, and maybe you'll sure. have to come back soon. Uh, this yeah. is what the listener wrote in. I'm a big fan of Macanudo Ascots. They're an inexpensive oh. cigar with good flavor. Mm-hmm. I'd like to treat myself for Christmas. Can your guest recommend a few cigars I should try? Price is not an obstacle for me. Well, the Ascot is a, I believe, like a cafe cigar. It's a small cigar. So, uh, and it's very, it's very mellow. They might, they, so they might like something. Well, they would probably like, uh, if they want to stay in the small cigar range, the, we talked about Fuente, the Fuente Cubanitos are very good. Um, Padron makes a very good small cigar. Um, I, I can't think of the name offhand. Uh, I think those are called, um, oh, I'll think of it in a minute, but, it's, uh, it, you know, so that's another good cigar too, Padron. They're very, very popular, especially among the, uh, Cognizante. Um, but um, I would say he, if he wants to try something like an Avo, he might like those. That's kind of in the um, you know, uh, the, the main mainline Avo. Those are uh, very good. And uh, Perdomo makes a really nice um, light, uh, I don't say light, but, you know, medium cigar. But if it depends on, like, also if he wants to stay in the small cigar range or not, you know. All right. But, those cigars are good. Romeo makes uh, really nice uh, cigars that are mostly in the mellow to medium body range. Things like All right. that. Uh, Gary, so, I appreciate the time this morning. I, uh, I, you know, I'll look forward too. to our next conversation, and uh, hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll be able to continue to compare cigar notes for, uh, for many years to come. Thank you very, very much. I like it very much. Thanks, Frank. It's always good to talk to you. Great show. Keep up the great work. Thank you. Gary Korb uh, from CigarAdvisor.com. Check him out on there. And uh, if you need any cigar advice, that's a good place to go. We are New York on New York's Talk Radio's 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
That, that apparently Matt Blaze claims that was Stevie Wonder. Uh, apparently, I, I had no idea what Stevie Wonder sounded like. And apparently, it was a short song. Yeah, <laughs> so I was like, wait a minute. You know, uh, Stevie Wonder um, was up here once about uh, in our old studio. He was up here about uh, seventeen years ago. That was the only person of all the people that were ever at this radio station that I ever saw John Gambling get uh, starstruck by. He was the only person. Uh, th- th- that John Gambling ever seemed really eager to meet. He ran, o- ran over to him and said, oh, Stevie, John Gambling. And so uh, that was that. Hey, uh, speaking of WABC's history, coming up at 5 o'clock, you're going to get to hear the WABC early news. And today it's going to be Frank Diaz and Jacqueline Carl uh, co-hosting. Today is going to be Bob Brown and Jacqueline Oh, Bob Carl. Brown and Jacqueline Carl. Yes. You know, I was wondering why Bob Brown was here all night. <laughs> yes. And then, Saw him working di- diligently. Yeah, I thought he was, I didn't know. I, I thought he was doing uh, top of the hour newscasts or something. <laughs> well, that's great. You talk about two people with great voices. It's uh, Bob Brown and uh, and Jacqueline Carl. I've been a fan of uh, of both of them for a, a long time. And it's funny, Jacqueline used to work here um, a long time ago, you know, doing on the weekends. And I'd see her on the on the weekend and I shouldn't say this now but there used to be this bathroom right off the newsroom floor where everybody would go to smoke now I was never a cigarette smoker but I would smoke a pipe occasionally so I would go in there and I remember one particular Sunday I was producing uh, religion on the line and um, I w- went in there and I would smoke this uh, I-, I think I wore a bathrobe even at the time I think it was right after Christmas if memory serves and I would smoke my pipe in the um, in the bathroom there. And I think Jacqueline used to be a cigarette smoker at the time. A- am I right, Jacqueline? Come in for a sec. Were you a cigarette smoker at the time? This one? Yeah. All right. Back in the day, once in a while. Once in a while. Yeah, okay. Yeah, okay. yeah and we did. No one's going yes. uh, no to cancel you because you have... had a cigarette 17 <laughs> years ago. So relax. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah. And we did. We did smoke in the bathroom. Right. We, that, that is a true story. It, right? is, it is. I will confirm this but, story. So I saw you just f- maybe 15, 20 minutes ago for the, I guess, the first time in 17 years. And I mentioned that you look the same as you had 17 years ago. And you stared at me with this blank look that clearly indicated that you had no recollection at all of us ever meeting. No, it wasn't that I had a, no recollection. It's just that I've been in so many stations, I couldn't remember which place we met right well so i'll advert to my prior statement you clearly had no recollection but i remember that right but you just didn't remember that it was me though i suppose i just no until you brought it up i had forgotten that that happened i see all right well okay good well every day that you're here i'm going to reveal a different jacqueline carl (gasps) memory that we've shared they better Together. all be good. <laughs> I will kill you as quick as look at you. Until next hour, your influence counts, so use it. This is The Other Side of Midnight with Frank Morano. They're running a strange program, y'all. Talk Radio 77 WABC. Now, here's Frank Morano.
other side of midnight. I'm Frank Morano. A couple of quick items here. By the way, those of you that are holding, I will get to you in a moment, so just hang tight. Hang loose, in the words of uh, Governor Rod Blagojevich. We've got to get Governor Blagojevich on on uh, on the show. You know, I know he's a convicted felon and everything, but I have a lot of friends that are convicted felons. And, you know, there are certain people that you have never met that you could tell, even though you've never met them, that you would be super good friends with them. I, for whatever reason, I get that imp- impression with Rod Blagojevich. I have never met the guy. I don't think I've ever spoken to the guy. We have – I don't think we have very much in common, quite frankly. But there's just something about Rod Blagojevich that I feel like we'd be fast friends. I just I could tell. There's just a kinship there that I feel. Now, a couple of quick items. One, I received an email on November 24th. From a gentleman named Daniel Baumhoff, the email read the following. Frank, any chance you will bring back the segment where callers tell their jokes? I thought that was entertaining. And I said, yes, we're overdue. In fact, we'll do it again, maybe even tonight. Um, or if not tonight, maybe tomorrow. But interesting thing happened the next day. My wife gave birth to our son and I've been I was off the radio for a couple of weeks. And you know what? That was a fun segment. And I think the last time we did it was probably back in January or February, maybe a little more recently. But anyway, I thought this was a fun thing to break up the monotony of the news is just inviting people to call in and tell a joke. And it has to be a joke that's appropriate for radio because, look, we're going into the Christmas season and everybody's going to be around friends and family and going to Christmas parties. And I can't even tell you how great it is to have a joke at the ready. You're sitting around the punch bowl. uh, You're sitting around the eggnog line. You're complaining about the lack of cream cheese out there. And then... Somebody just has a a well-positioned joke. It really is so important. So I've actually stolen a lot of great jokes from our listeners. So I think now's as good of a time as any to invite you to call in and tell a joke. 800-848-9222. It can be any type of joke. It could be a knock-knock joke. It could be a uh, whatever. Uh, you name it, misdirection, any kind of joke that you want to tell, political. You know, it can be a little dirty, but at least has to be clean enough that we can say it on the radio. So if you want to contribute a joke, 800-848-WABC. Now, meantime, I think I kind of embarrassed uh, a little bit, either myself or Jacqueline Carl, by pointing out publicly that she had no idea who I was uh, from meeting 17 years ago. And then lo and behold... We go to the news where Frank Diaz insists that traffic and transit is next. I don't want to disappoint anybody that's listening, but traffic and transit is not next. You will we will have no traffic and transit and nor weather for the next 54 minutes. If you want to hear traffic and transit and weather, 507, you can hear it from the guy that does it better than anybody, Joe Nolan. So I don't know what Frank where Frank Diaz is getting his information, but I can promise you there will be no traffic and transit this hour. None. If you want to know what the traffic is like, where you are, the best I can tell you is just be patient. Just we'll get we'll get you the information you need eventually. But anyway, 
So Jacqueline Carl was saying, once we go to the news and we're uh, listening to the top of the hour newscast, she said, oh, I remember, you know, that incident now. And she said, I remember you sent an email, and, you know, at some at some situation. Then she mentions a memorable email that I sent. And I said, yes, so you do remember me. Now, I had actually forgotten that I sent that email until she reminded me. All I'm left to think is that I have aged so poorly in the last 17 years. And my hair is now so filled with gray hair and so much and that I look so aged that I was unrecognizable. Do you remember that Seinfeld episode where Kruger doesn't recognize George, who was in that photo of him and his sons at the beach because George has lost so much hair? I think that's what I'm going through now and why Jacqueline Carl, who looks like she's out of the portrait of Jorian Gray, hasn't aged a day. Doesn't recognize me. I think she thought I was a young person. And, of course, now I no longer am. All right. Uh, 800-848-WABC. If you have a joke, I am prepared to hear it. Doesn't have to be a great joke, but at least should be a good joke. 800-848-9222. Victor is in Manhattan. Victor, what do you have for us? Victor. Victor going once. Ready? Go ahead, Victor. Go ahead. Two male bodybuilders walk into a bar, you know, no necks, and they're high-fiving each other, and they tell everybody at the bar, two drinks on the house for everybody. Two drinks for the bartender, too. And the guys at the bar turn to these guys and they say, hey, what is it with you two guys? High-fiving each other, congratulating each other. What the hell is the, what's the, what's the cause of the celebration here? And these two guys turn to them, the bar, guys at the bar, and they say, Remember that jigsaw puzzle you gave us a few years ago? Yeah, what about it? Well, we finished it in just 71 days. And they and the guys at the bar said, you think that's an accomplishment? And they said, why not? Hell no. The box said two to four years. <laughs> I'm not sure I even get that. <laughs> Okay. I do get it. That is funny, actually. Okay, that is good. It took me a second. I feel like Victor's delivery could have been a little bit better, but that is a good joke, actually. 800-848-9222. Bring on your jokes. 1-800-848-WABC. Bean is in Northvale, New Jersey. Hello, Bean. Dean, it's Dean. Anyway, I got a knock-knock joke for a, a control freak. I'm going to start it. Knock-knock. Who's there? This is, this is where you say who's there. Well, I, I was about to say who's there, but you said it instead. Well, I'm a control freak. <laughs> that's not bad, Bean, or Dean, if that's your real name. Thank you. 800-848-9222. Valentine is in Pine Beach, New Jersey. Hello, Valentine. Good morning, Frank. I got the story of the three pigs, you know, the straw pig and the stick pig and the brick pig. And the big bad wolf would come and blow the straw down. He'd blow the twigs down. And they run over into the brick pig's house, and the brick pig picks up the phone, and he dials it. And, and, and the next thing you know, a limo pulls up to the door, and these guys get out of the limo, and they take the big bad wolf, and they beat the big bad wolf up, and they throw him in the trunk of the limo and take off. So stick pig and straw pig says, who is that? And brick pig said, that's just my cousin, the guinea pig. <laughs> oh, oh, all right. 
okay, I've got a sense of humor about that stuff. You know, you, okay, I can handle an ethnic joke here and there. 800-848-9222. Jeff in Tom's River, what's your joke? Hey, Frank, did you hear about the pretzel that was rushed to the emergency room? No. It was assaulted. <laughs> I've actually heard that one before, but it's still funny. I love a good punny joke as well. If it can't be funny, it should at least be punny, I'll say. 800 I'll tell you, the funniest comedian, I think, pound for pound these days, is Tom Cotter, who's been a guest on this show. He is a master of misdirection. If you ever have the opportunity to... Uh, see Tom Cotter or hear Tom Cotter, I strongly recommend it. Ed calling from Ohio. Hello, Ed. Hi, how you doing? Great. I have a clean joke for you. All right, well, turn your radio off and let's hear it. Okay, hang on. Alexa, stop. Okay, ready? Yes. Okay, here's this uh, couple in the bank and two single ladies. And all of a sudden, this bank robber comes in, and uh, he uh, picks up the money, and he drops his mask. And he says to the one lady, did you see my face? And she said, yes. So he shoots her. And then a second lady comes up to him. He said, did you see my face? And she said, yes. So he shoots her. So then he comes up to the couple, and he asks the guy, he said, did you see my face? And the guy says, no, but my wife did. <laughs> I've heard that one before. Actually, my cousin Ernie once uh, told me that joke. That's a good one. You know, it's funny. I'm reminded by listening to Ed talk with Alexa. If I give Alexa commands through the radio, she will listen to me. And it's true. And I've done this. For instance, if I say, if you're listening to me on Alexa right now, Alexa, volume 11, it will raise the volume. And it's funny, one of the things that I did with my smart device recently is I will have my smart device, you know her name, tell me a joke. And I'd like to try something. And this is very experimental. See, that's why this show is so revolutionary. This is experimental radio, baby. I am going to speak to your smart speaker and ask her to tell me a joke. And I want you... To call in and tell me what joke she tells. Because I'm curious if you're all going to get the same joke or you're all going to get different jokes. So listen carefully. Alexa, tell me a joke. All right. So you should be hearing a joke right now. Write that joke down or if you memorize it, call me and tell me what it is. And I'm curious if you all hear the same joke or if it's a bunch of other ones. 800-848-WABC. Let me say hello to Maureen in Patterson. Hello, Maureen. Good morning, Frank. Okay, so this mushroom walks into a bar and sits down. And he says to the bartender, I'd like to have a beer. And the mushroom says, I can't give you a beer. He says, why not? I'm a fun guy. <laughs> That's uh, it's okay. All right. Clearly, uh, Matt didn't think it was rim shot worthy. I thought that was okay. Paul is on Staten Island. Hello, Paul. Hey, Frank. Listen, I'll do the quick version of it. Two friends die. They go to heaven. I say, Peter's at the gate. So he asked the first friend, how many times have you cheated on your wife? He said, never. So he says, go into heaven. Here's the keys to your new old voice. He asked the second guy how many times he's cheated. He said, four. So St. Peter says, here's your keys to your new Cadillac, go enjoy heaven. 
So the guy in the Rolls Royce is driving around. He sees the guy, uh, the guy in the Cadillac's driving around. He sees the guy in the Rolls Royce crying. So he says, "What are you crying for? You never cheated on your wife. You got a Rolls Royce." Goes, "Yeah, but I just saw my wife on a skateboard." <laughs> <laughs> That's a good one, Paul. I've heard that one before too. That's a good one. Eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. Speaking of wives, I just got a message from my wife. She writes, I had to just shut you off so you that you didn't tell that wicked computer to go to volume 10 and scare the crap out of your son who's listening while he's eating. He would not have been scared. He's heard loud noise before. He would not have been scared. That's the, see, let, let, listen to this kid. This is a kid that doesn't mind hearing jokes at a loud level. Listen to this young man. There's actually audio of young Carmine William Morano crying. That was actually his reaction to the last joke that was told. So hopefully you can turn his spirits around. 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-9222. If you have a joke, any kind of joke is fine. If it's a knock-knock joke, if it's a pun, if it's misdirection, if it's... I don't know what you call these jokes that are degree of severity. I call them degree of severity. Like, uh, you know, it was so hot outside. How hot was it? You know, I, I don't know what the proper term for those jokes are. Gregory is in Long Branch, New Jersey. Hello, Gregory. Hi, Frank. Uh, listen, I heard this joke told on the radio before, so don't worry. You, you won't have to cut me off for oh, anything. Okay. I'm not going anywhere. I'm already crazy. nervous. Go ahead. <laughs> no, no. All right. There's three men in a room. Adolf Hitler, uh, Joseph Stalin, and Walter O'Malley. You have a gun, but the gun only has two bullets. Who do you shoot? Um, you shoot Walter O'Malley twice. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, you should win a prize for that. I, you know, I, I don't. Know, I don't think Gregory that you're supposed to be able to predict the outcome of jokes. I'll be, I'll be honest. It's uh, and clearly he was an old Brooklyn Dodger fan that told that joke. I don't think you'd uh, I don't think you'd hear an L.A. Dodger fan have the same punchline to uh, to that joke. Eight hundred eight four eight W A B C. That's eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. You know, it's funny. I um, one of my favorite stories that I used to hear was from uh, my old friend Joe Franklin. <laughs> who would talk about how in the early days of television, they would do advertisements for cigarettes. Now, it sounds so odd now because you can't advertise cigarettes on television. But uh, Joe Franklin was telling me about the, the only time he really got in trouble on television, where he was talking about, you know, they used to actually have doctor's endorsements for Cigarette commercials. So Joe Franklin was talking about the ads that said eight out of ten doctors prefer camels. The other two, they stuck with women. Now, see, that's a good joke. Loved it. Always. 800-848-9222. We'll do 
five more of these. So let's make them five good ones. 800-848-9222. Call in with a, a joke and we'll, we'll, we'll hopefully give people some jokes that they can remember, uh, to tell at their upcoming Christmas parties. There's one, two, three, four open lines. So we'll do our final five. 800-848-9222. If you have a joke that you want to share with the audience coming up in about 10 minutes, we are going to give you a chance to win a thousand dollars with the thousand dollar minute. If you can answer 10 trivia questions in 60 seconds. If you want to stay in touch with me, you can find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. Or you can find me on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Morano Fan. That's Facebook.com slash Morano Fan. We also have a very active Facebook group for people that listen to this show and want to comment on the things that we do on this show. You just have to search Morano Radio Fans and Haters. That's M-O-R-A-N-O Radio Fans and Haters. I don't know that Joel has a joke, but he's been holding a while. Hello there, Joel. Joel! Hi there. You forgot what name you were calling yeah. under? You thought I was going to call you Raji? No, no, no. I was on the speakerphone. I see. I see. On, see. The, on the phone. You know, I was listening to you on the phone directly. Interesting. Uh, right. Now, uh, uh, listen, uh, I know you're, uh, right now you're seeking, uh, you know, jokesters and all that. But, uh, you know, I'm interested in mentioning a couple of things. One, the two guests you've had, mm-hmm. Bosner yesterday, and today McGregor, the general, absolutely Colonel. excellent. Excellent. Very neutral. You know, I agreed with them both 100%, you know, because they really spoke very fairly, you know, uh, without taking any sides or anything like that. Now, you, he did mention this General McGregor, uh, something about Colonel. General Clark, right? Right. Uh, do you know what he meant, uh, uh, what Clark had said that he brought up, because that uh, went by pretty quickly? Yeah, I, I played the audio. I played the audio. Basically, I asked uh, General Clark if um, if he thought that Russia had a point in uh, being upset with NATO's expansion, and General Clark said that uh, no, Russia was just using that as an excuse that we shouldn't, you know, that they, that they, uh, NATO is not in the business of invading other countries. And essentially, Colonel McGregor said he did not agree with General Clark. He said he liked General Clark as a person, but um, that he didn't agree with him. That he did think Russia, uh, he did understand why Russia was so irked. At, um, you know, at, at NATO's expansion. 800-848-WABC. We'll do our final five jokes here. 1-800-848-9222. Mark is in Orange County. What do you have for us, Mark? Okay, I'm Polish, Frank. How do you stop the Polish army on horseback? I give up. Turn off the carousel. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See, I like that. That's very funny. And again, I'm not Polish, so maybe I have no business laughing at it. But um, that could just as easily be a blonde joke or uh, or something else. Now, um, now, Ryan, are you screen? Uh, you're, you're I see you're making the people tell you the jokes before you'll put them on air. Yeah, I mean that's what the yeah I'd say you just put them on. I mean that's what we have the uh, the delay for. If they say something that's way too outrageous, then we you know we can we can always uh, prohibit them uh, once it gets to uh, gets to air. But you know Ryan prefers a more 
hands-on screening process. I guess that's it's better than a too loose a screening process. 800-848-9222 if you want to jump on board. Now, I do want to tell you the holidays are here. The time of year we pause, reflect, and realize how blessed we are. It's also the time to help make a difference, and 77 WABC is teaming with Cohen Children's Medical Center, a proud partner of Children's Miracle Network Hospitals, for our third annual holiday radiothon for children this Friday, December 17th. Now, all of the money raised stays right here benefiting the children and their families of our community. This year, you can give the gift that has meaning. The money raised will be used to improve life-saving care and equipment, pediatric research, care, and uh, child life services, and a whole lot more. So if you want to take part in this, you can download the 77 WABC app and listen to hear more about how you can help this Friday, December 17th, but uh, you don't have to wait until then. You can text HERO to 51555 and donate today. You can join Cohen Children's Medical Center and 77 WABC in making a difference for the holidays. So uh, I think it's a great cause. I'm going to be making a small contribution. Hopefully you will as well. All right, 800-848-9222. We're going to try and squeeze in a few more jokes. Um, we're going to get through Ryan's rigorous screening process, and uh, then we'll do the $1,000 Minute. Mike is on Staten Island. Hello, Mike. Hey, how you doing, uh, Frank? So these three guys are walking down the street. The Polish guy's carrying a car door. The French guy's carrying a bottle of wine, and the Italian guy's carrying a loaf of bread. So the guy sees him. He says to the Italian guy, he says, Giuseppe, why are you carrying a loaf of bread? He said, well, I get hungry, so I eat. He said, Pierre, why are you carrying uh, a bottle of wine? He says, well, I get thirsty, so I drink. He said, Stanley, what's with the card door? He said, well, I walk down the street, I get hot, so I open the window. <laughs> You know, I don't know how those jokes got started, how the Poles got a reputation for being unintelligent. Certainly a lot of the Polish people that I know, they uh, they are very bright. So I don't know what the origin of that stereotype is. So uh, it's, uh, it is interesting that that has lasted for so long. William is in Westchester. Hello, William. Warren Frank, the day after the Iranians take over the United States, they take Bill Clinton, they take Barack Obama, and they take Biden to send them to the firing squad. First up is Clinton. The squad leader goes, ready. He goes, aim. And Clinton goes, earthquake. Everybody panics, and in the panic, he runs away into the dark and escapes. Then times the, comes the turn of Obama. The squad leader goes, ready. He goes, aim. And Obama goes, Tornado, and everybody panics and runs away. And he escapes in the dark. And then it's the turn of my man Joe Biden. Squad leader goes, ready. He goes, aim. And Biden shouts, fire! <laughs> you know, I, you've actually told that joke before, William, and, and maybe there's a reason we only do this segment twice a year now. But uh, 800-848-9222, we'll end with Pete. Hello there, Pete. What do you have for us? Hi, Frank. How do you stop a bull from charging? 
I give up. You take away his credit card. <laughs> okay, that's more punny than funny, but that's not bad. All right. Uh, if you want to try and win $1,000, speaking of bulls that uh, want to be charged, be the seventh caller to 1-800-848-9222. And if you are, you will get the opportunity to answer if you've never been a contestant before. Uh, so if you've been a contestant before, then you can't play. But you get an opportunity to answer 10 questions in 60 seconds. And um, these questions are, I think, pretty easy. So if you have what it takes, give us a call. Be the seventh caller at 800-848-9222. You can play the $1,000 Minute. Ah, the Jackson 5 singing about Santa Claus. Uh, that um, classic, classic song. That's, can't have a problem with this song, you know? All right. It is time for one lucky listener to try their hand at winning some money because it's time for... The Other Side of Midnight presents... It's the $1,000 Minute. Answer 10 questions correctly in one minute, and you could win $1,000. Here's your host, Frank Marano. Uh, let us meet today's contestant, Gia, in Harrison, New Jersey. Hello, Gia. Hey, good morning, Frank. Congratulations on your new baby. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it very much. And uh, are, have you heard this uh, this contest before, Gia? Do you know what you're in store for? Yesterday I did, and I was, like, trying to answer them. I'm like, no, it's so easy. It, they are. They, they are pretty easy questions. So the trick yeah. is not getting flustered. That's the trick. So yeah. uh, it's you have, you'll have 60 seconds to answer these questions. So in order to go through these questions quickly, and we can get through all 60, all 10, rather, in 60 seconds, if you answer a question correctly, I'm just going to move on to the next question. I'm not going to say, oh, gee, congratulations, you're right. We're just going to move on to the next one. And the 60-second timer will begin as soon as I ask the first question. You ready to go, Gia? I'm ready. By the way, what brings you why, – why are you awake at this time? Why are you awake at 4.30 in the morning? So I wake up at 4 o'clock in the morning because I start working around 7. So. Well, what? what uh, without being too specific, what line of work are you in, Gia? I am in the um, public service uh, industry. Oh, the public service industry. I love the public yep. service industry. As That's a member great. of the public, I love being served. All right. You ready That's to go? Great. Okay. Okay. I'm ready. What is two times two? Or what continent is China in? Asia. What is a dried plum called? A prune. Who is the author of the book The Adventures of Tom Sawyer? Oh, uh, got me on that one. Take a guess. Tom, Fam- Tom Sawyer. Yeah. Adventures of Tom Sawyer. Tom Sawyer. Oh, boy. 
Nope, don't know it. No, all right. Well, um, Mark Twain. Mark Twain oh, was the author. Oh, my goodness. Oh, how can I? Oh, boy. He was great. Yeah, he, yeah. Was, he was great. I, I am hoping that the public service industry that you're in, Gia, is not as a English teacher, though. <laughs> Oh, no. We do uh, gas and electric. Oh, okay. All right. Well, that's... We keep, uh, we keep everybody running. Wonderful. Wonderful. That's Absolutely. Right. All right, Gia. Well, we, we, we like you, and we appreciate you listening. Uh, so we're going to give you a consolation prize of a the other side of Midnight Baseball Cap if you want one. Oh, I do. Yes, All right. I do. I'm going to put you on hold. Give Ryan your, your information, and uh, and you, you will be the proud recipient of a uh, of a baseball cap. And I hope you'll call again. I will. Thanks, Ray. Thank you, Gia. All Thank right. you. She's a ni- nice lady. And by the way, if you want to purchase one of those other side of midnight baseball caps, just go to the website, wabcradiostore.com. That's wabcradiostore.com. Mark is in Somerset County, New Jersey. Hello there, Mark. Yeah, hi, Frank. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, uh, yeah, Frank. Um, I'm a Polish-American. I just want to give the origin of these so-called Polish jokes uh, they came from Nazi German propaganda because at the time, uh, the Nazi Germans viewed Polish people as having quote unquote, well, they saw them as quote unquote subhumans who had quote unquote subhuman uh, intelligence. Uh, and ironically, the television media, uh, especially with Hollywood, uh, they enjoyed those. Uh, that was the one thing they loved. That was the only thing they loved about the Nazi Germans was their anti-Polish propaganda, and they adopted it. NBC television, for many decades, pushed these so-called Polish jokes, which are hateful slurs against Polish people. And, and, And the thing is this, and you can even do a search on this, origin of Polish jokes is Nazi German propaganda. And, it's, and the thing is, is, it's ironic, because the Polish people, actually, if you look at their real history, and not what the fake media says about Polish people, actually shows they're pretty intelligent. Uh, they were the ones who decoded the Nazi German Enigma code, when no other country could do that. Uh, Polish squadron, or 303, were instrumental well, in turning... Uh, 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 yeah, Mark, I'm not disputing the intelligence and the contributions of the Polish people, but I am doing a little quick research here, and uh, it does look like these Polish jokes predate the Nazis. Uh, in fact, going back to a- the 18th century, so... Yes. Yes and no. Yeah, but they weren't the subhuman intelligence jokes about Polish people. They were, they were jokes about Polish people having long lasting. And before the Polish jokes, the exact same jokes were told about the Italians. And before the jokes about Italians, they were told about the Irish. Right, well, you so can tell them about anybody. Irish and dogs need not apply. Right. Are you aware of that? Yes, yes. No, I, I absolutely am. Every ethnic group has had a sort of uh, slurs against them and uh, derogatory jokes at uh, at their expense. I didn't realize, I didn't realize, though, um, if what you're saying is accurate, that the Nazis played such a role in the spread of Polish jokes. I, you know, I am looking looking into this now. There is, it does look like there's some truth to what Mark is saying. You know, the thing that I guess I don't get with the Nazis, though, is I would have assumed they would have been anti-Jewish jokes rather than anti-Polish, because you had a lot of Polish Gentiles as uh, as well. Again, I think it's important to remember with all these stereotype jokes, whether we're talking uh, Jewish jokes, black jokes, Irish jokes, Italian jokes, whatever the case may be, blonde jokes, that they're not based in reality. They're just 
for the most part, it's not an attempt to be hateful. It's an attempt to have a little levity. Now, I think you can tell a Polish joke without being a Nazi. Okay, I mean, maybe that makes me a Nazi. I don't think it does. Uh, my dues to my local Nazi branch are not yet paid up, so I don't think I could be considered a Nazi. But you can judge for yourself. All right, eight hundred eight four eight nine two two two. If you want to comment on anything we have covered thus far, I, I did want to share with you one of the other films that I saw last week. I had not seen. This film ever. It's almost 30 years old, and it is from a director that I really enjoy. It's from the film is called Barcelona, and it's from 1994. It's a comedy, sort of a comedy drama from one that's written and directed by Whit Stillman. It's set in Barcelona. Stars uh, mostly actors that are in all the other Whit Stillman films. None of them are household names. The one actor that's in it that you would recognize or actress that you would recognize is Mira Sorvino. It is the second film at, that Whit Stillman did after Metropolitan. He did sort of a, a, a trilogy that was – Whit Stillman, if you're not familiar with his work, he's basically – they call him the Wasp Woody Allen. And uh, Barcelona was the second film after Metropolitan that he did, and it was the one that he did before the last days of uh, of disco. And he calls this his doomed bourgeois in love series. The three films are independent of one another, except for some cameo appearances of some common characters. It's an interesting film. The Whit Stillman movies are known mostly not for their stories but for their dialogue and for their characters. You'll know right away whether you like a Whit Stillman movie. If you like any Whit Stillman film, you'll like this one. If you've never seen a Whit Stillman film, I would suggest you probably start with Metropolitan. That's the original. Uh, that's the, the one by which all others are measured. Metropolitan is a good one. And, you know, he's still making movies these days. But it's funny, Whit Stillman, who I think lives in France now, he became so well-known for not making movies. He was one of these guys that would take several years off that the movies developed a cult following before they were even released. So it made a lot of um, best lists, uh, but I enjoyed it. So Barcelona, if you're a Whit Stillman fan, probably worth checking out. If you're not familiar with Whit Stillman... I suggest you seeing at least one of these films. So great music in these films as well. You know, I'm told Whit Stillman is actually a listener to this show. I've never met him. He does follow me on Twitter. So it wouldn't surprise me if he was a listener to the show. But we have a mutual friend. Uh, there's a writer. He's a historian, actually, that I really like that Whit Stillman happens to be friends with as well. And I said to this this historian one time, I said, hey, you know, I'm a fan of these Whit Stillman movies, and I've tried to get Whit on the show several times. Why has he never come on the radio with me? And he said something to the effect of, I'm paraphrasing here because it's a few years since we had this discussion, and it was a discussion that was had among copious amounts of bourbon. He said that Whit Stillman is a conservative and he's so afraid about being canceled that he's afraid to 
go on any sort of media. He doesn't want to become a target. So I thought that what a shame that is, is that he, clearly this, if if what my friend said is true, this is a radio show that he enjoys listening to, but doesn't even want to come on because he's so intimidated for the fear of being canceled for being a conservative. I said to my friend, you know, we don't have to, you know, I'm not interested in talking about politics. I want to talk about movies and didn't have any luck. I'm going to try again, though, I'm going to reach out to him again. Uh, if you are with Stillman and you're listening to this show, email me. Frank.Morano at uh, WABCRadio.com. Uh, if you're not with Stillman, well, then tough luck for you, I suppose. All right. Uh, you can still email me, though. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. We'll do 15 seconds of fame coming up in just a few minutes where you can be heard for 15 seconds. Start your morning with Frank Morano on 77 WABC. Responsible for our theme song, The Other Side of Midnight. We'll do uh, 15 seconds of fame uh, coming up in just a minute. You can start queuing up if you want at 800-848-9222. Meantime, you can find me on Twitter at Frank Morano. That's Frank M-O-R-A-N-O. I got a direct message on Twitter, and I have open DMs, so you can direct message me anytime you want. Um, Raphael asks, and I should have addressed this earlier. Shame on me. Raphael asks, Frank, what happened with Alex Ferenson? Now, I'm assuming he meant Alex Berenson, who we did have scheduled on today's show. You know, it's funny. Alex Berenson has a book out that he's promoting. And look, I've interviewed Alex Berenson before, and I found him to be an interesting person. And um, so his his publicist reaches out to me and said, do you want to talk to Alex Berenson? I said, sure. Let's do it. Uh, what's what's today? Today's Tuesday. Let's do it Tuesday morning. I'm flexible in terms of time. If he wants to do it in the one o'clock hour, if it's easy, because some people it's easier to be up late at night. Other people it's easier for them to be up early in the morning. So the late at night people they prefer around one a.m. The early in the morning people they prefer around four a.m. So I try to, if someone's going to be interesting and make an effort to come on the show, I try to do my best to accommodate their schedule. So anyway, I um, end up reaching out to the publicist yesterday to confirm the time that they wanted to come on the show because they had confirmed that he was coming on today. And I said, all right, I just want to confirm the time and want to make sure it's good for Alex's one o'clock hour. Good. And he writes, uh, this publicist writes back, well, he's actually booking his own media now so you can email him or text him directly. So I emailed him, and he never emailed me back. So you know what I say? Good riddance. You don't want to come on this show? 
you know what? When someone doesn't come on the show, especially after they've indicated that they will, it makes unless there's an honest misunderstanding. But if there's not an honest misunderstanding, if they just decide all of a sudden to stop responding, I do think less of them. And it makes me disagree with their ideas. Now, I am the biggest anti-mask person there is. I, I hate wearing a mask. And Alex Berenson's book is all about criticizing all of the conventional wisdom on COVID. It, he made me want to go out and put on a mask. That's how much I was annoyed with with his no-show on the show today, um, or non-response, not even a no-show, non-response. I will tell you who's going to be here tomorrow. we got a couple of my favorites tomorrow. Dr. Sky, Steve Cates, is going to be here. We're going to analyze some of the strange activity over at the North Pole, along with some other things. And America's Mayor Rudy Giuliani is going to be here as well. So uh, he is now... A first-time grandparent. I'm a first-time parent, so we'll compare notes. We'll find out how the two uh, the two differ from one another. We have some other stuff going on uh, for the for the rest of the week as well, and uh, we, we, some stuff that you're really going to enjoy. I think. All right. Uh, meantime, it is now time for you to be heard for 15 seconds. It is time for the other side of midnight. This is 15 seconds of fame. Let us begin with Eddie in Nassau County. Hello, Eddie. After turning San Francisco into San Francisco, Nancy Pelosi just bought a $25 million hacienda in Florida. No income tax. It tells you a lot. Also, Biden... 15 seconds. Victor is in Manhattan. Hello, Victor. Uh, Mrs. Goldstein met Mrs. Lowenstein on the street and said to her, I understand you moved out of the Benjamin Arms Hotel. I don't blame you a bit. The food there was terrible. Each mouthful was poison. And besides, they served such small portions. <laughs> Irishman is in the Bronx. Hello. Read the Janine Machine by Richard Blasberg and Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Janine Machine by Richard Blasberg and Twisted Justice at CNN.com. Janine Pierre is an Arab criminal who sent an innocent New York City cop to prison. Thank you, Irishman. A way to get past Ryan uh, and his beating the system, the rigorous call screening there. Uh, Mike is on Staten Island. Hello, Mike. Hey, apologies to all my Polish friends for being the butt of jokes. The guy I work with, his boy is so bright, he calls him son. When in Woodside, <laughs> he did Dino and son. Raji, a.k.a. Uh, whatever other name you use. Hello, Raji. Frank, please, please classify Curtis Sleewers. Politics on WABC currently. Liberal Democrat, independent, moderate, Republican. What percentage of uh, Curtis? Thank you, Raji. I would characterize Curtis as a populist. That's what I would characterize his politics are. Uncle Willie is in New Jersey. Hello, Uncle Willie. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. Let's go, Brandon. The red wave is coming. The walk is the wind. The Republicans are coming back. Praise the Lord. When the red wave comes, hopefully they'll bring you a landline telephone. Peter is in Manhattan. Hello, Peter. You know, Frank, one guy lost weight and all the fat went to his head. He comes on earlier in the day. 800-848-9222. I'm not sure who that's a shot at. Clearly it's somebody. Ray in Queens. Hello. Hey, Frank, all the best with your new baby boy. God bless. 
Thank you. 800-848-9222. 15 seconds. If you want to jump on board, we have one, two, three, four, five open lines. Mark is in Massapequa. Hello, Mark. Sizzle moron, sizzle moron. There you go. Got that in there. Carol, I hope you had a nice birthday yesterday. Oh, thank you. Yes, I did. Um, You know, Frank, when my father passed away, I had to learn how to handle all kinds of things that men usually handle the household issues. But I got to tell you, I'm glad that I did. There you have it, Carol. There you have it. All right. 800-848-9222. If you want to squeeze in one last comment or two, uh, 1-800-848-WABC. Coming up, you'll get to hear the WABC early news with Jacqueline Carl and Bob Brown, both of whom are getting rave reviews in the Facebook group. If you want to participate in those discussions, just go to, uh, you know, Morano Radio fans and haters on on Facebook. Mustafa is in Manhattan. Hello, Mustafa. Reads is your name machine by Richard Blasberg at TwistedJusticeOfCNN.com. Your name machine by Richard Blasberg. Very impressive that you got on twice. Uh, Irishman, a.k.a. Paul, a.k.a. Mustafa. Jeff is in Suffolk County. Hello, Jeff. Frank, I don't know how you could call that guy Curtis, your friend. That guy badmouthed you all left and right. And he's just a loser. I'm so glad you're back. Well, thank you. I'm glad that you're glad that I'm back. But you can't take Curtis too seriously, honestly. Dino is in Queens. Hello, Dino. John, you're right. The motorcycle is called a wheel. And, Mike, thanks for all the shout-outs from Dino and Son. Love you guys. There you have it. Thank you, Dino. All right. We'll, we'll end on that note, that educational note there. Meantime, hey, so I, I was uh, just a follow-up to um, our discussion earlier about uh, cold baby bottles. Uh, this woman, Hannah, just wrote to me, Mazel Tov on Baby Carmine. When my first child was born, my husband, Mark, felt exactly as you did. He could not bear to hear his newborn screaming. And while I protested that the bottle had to be warmed up, so he would just take it out of the refrigerator and feed it to her, and she would gulp it down with no problem. I do agree with Rachel that perhaps it should be a bit warmer, at least to take the chill off. So maybe the prepared bottle could be taken out a bit ahead of time. Also, if you get your baby used to only drinking warm bottles, then he'll most likely learn to insist on it. See, that's why I don't. That's why I, I I have him drinking the chilled baby formula or the chilled breast milk. I find that if he's okay with the, you know, the chilled baby formula, then we can just give it to him right out of the refrigerator. So there's that. All right. Hey, uh, by the way, my uh, New Year's Eve Eve email, which people look forward to the whole year. I do expect that to go out today. I am almost done writing it. It takes me a long time to write this email. This is probably, if you've never gotten it before, probably the longest email you will ever receive. It is an invitation to my annual New Year's Eve Eve party on December 30th in Atlantic City, uh, which everyone gets invited to. So if you want an invitation, just email me and I'll, uh, when I send those invites out, hopefully today, uh, I have a busy day today. I've got an appointment at two. Uh, I've got some stuff to record in the afternoon, but hopefully uh, I will get that email out by the time I speak to you next on the radio. Uh, so if you want that invitation, just shoot me an email and I'll add you to my list. Frank.Morano at WABCRadio.com. Let me make way 
for the distinguished news team of uh, Bob Brown and uh, Jacqueline Carl. They are news specialists, so prepare to be informed. Uh, unlike what you've heard from the last four hours, you'll actually learn a thing or two for the next hour. All right. This has been a lot of fun. I will be back tomorrow with Dr. Sky, Steve Cates, and America's Mayor Rudy Giuliani. Have a great day. To be continued.